This is Coco Talk, the nation's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. With your host, Mr. Gameplay Goodness himself, Stevie Stroud. All right, and here we are, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, uh, children of all ages. Welcome to episode 28 of Coco Talk. This is the All Things Tandy Assembly edition of Coco Talk. This is the Tandy Assembly pregame show. This is the Christmas Eve before Tandy Assembly, if you will. Uh, and we're actually very honored to have with us right now uh, two esteemed um, uh, visitors. Number one, we need to uh, order them in, uh, in order of significance. So first and foremost, we have David Ladd, uh, podcasting celebrity who just appeared on the Coco Crew podcast. So welcome, David Ladd. Um, Hello. You, you, you honor us with your presence, sir. The elevation of our show has been lifted to a whole new level, so thank you so much for that. And then, of course, we have the godfather of all things retro, Mr. John Linville is with us as well, uh, host of the Coco Crew podcast, one of the founders of Tandy Assembly, uh, host of Retro Challenge, just all-around good-looking guy. Uh, I'm not sure if your mic is on or if you're just holding it all back there, John, but welcome to the show. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, hello. And then uh, the rest of the room here we have, we'll just go around the room here, wearing a very lovely um, royal blue Coco Talk t-shirt. We have Mark Overholzer, no shameful plug there. Um, Richard Lorbieski of Boyce and Tech is with us. And uh, Grant Leety is with us. Uh, we have Bill Noble A. We have L. Curtis Boyle. We have Ron Delvaux. Barry Nelson, and all the way from the UK, I believe Karen Anscombe is trying to join the call right now. So, welcome everybody to Coco Talk, and thanks for being here on Tandy Assembly's Eve, sort of. <laughs> Weekend Thank Eve, you for right? having me. <laughs> yep. Hello, everyone, and if you have not gotten enough floppy talk on our show, you can check out David's interview. <laughs> I gotta say, it was uh, an incredible segment because even though I've heard David um, speak to this at length more than once, hearing it again, it actually was enjoyable. And then I'm not even saying that to be sarcastic. It was a very enjoyable segment. So, um, great job on the Coco Crew and great job on David Ladd. And thanks for um, for showcasing uh, David, giving him some of the proper recognition he deserves. That we never give him here. <laughs> I was going to say it was John's idea. You guys are just letting all that beautiful content go to waste. <laughs> so, <laughs> so here we are. Uh, John, can you verify, can you confirm or deny if we're showing up on the Tandy Assembly stream as well? Look over there. Yes, we appear to be. Okay, good. So we are multicasting right now also on the Tandy Assembly um, YouTube channel. There is a link to that channel in the description of this live stream. So next weekend, Coco Talk will not be airing in its regular format or its, or its regular time, but we will be streaming all of the events directly from the Tandy Assembly um, speaking area, um, the speakers area, the stage, whatever you want to call it, presentation forum. Um, we'll be live streaming all of those events and Saturday night we'll have kind of a round table which will be a live version similar to Coco Talk but it's not going to just be the Coco folks. We'll have 
the Coco Crew. We'll have the t- Trash Talkers. We'll have um, Randy Kindig from Floppy Days, and as many people from Tandy Assembly who want to be part of the conversation too. So that should be a nice little fun um, live discussion next weekend. So definitely looking forward to that. Um, and so yeah, so that's what we're going to talk about this week is Tandy Assembly. Much like this show started in anticipation of Coco Fest, we now have two exciting things to talk about each year uh and this is the one so of us in the room right now i know john linville will be there <laughs> tandy assembly uh richard's going to be there grant is going to be there i am going to be there who else is going to be at tandy assembly that's on the uh, panel right now i will not okay i will still be working overtime that weekend so good thing i didn't book it <laughs> sadly i won't be able to make it yes. uh, same here <laughs> But the legend of, of David Ladd and his floppy knowledge will um, live on. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I actually learned something because I thought a sector was a physical um, portion of a disk. I didn't realize it was kind of software defined. I always assumed a sector was a hard coded thing that was part of the construction of you know the process. And so um, that was interesting. To yeah, well, on the Apple II, they used to call them soft sector because they didn't use the timing hole. It was all based on just how you wrote the disk out. Yep. So. Actually, uh, any, uh, any disk that only has a single index hole um, is a soft sectored floppy. There are disks that have multiple index holes, and those are hard sectored floppies. They're, none of the systems that we would typically deal with would use them. There's, I think, some old... Uh, CPM systems and some other systems that, that use hard sector disks. Yeah, the yeah. ones I saw were from uh, IBM. They were the 8-inch ones. Like some of the System 36 uh, machines had those. Yeah, they, they had them. Um, so, and yeah, as you rotate those disks, you'll actually see that there are like multiple holes, multiple index holes punched in the disk. If you rotate a color computer 5 and a quarter inch floppy, you'll see that there's only one single hole. And even you know, even though it uses the that index hole, it's still a, a soft sector disk because it uses that hole once, but then the rest of the sectoring is set up by the software. Interesting. Though, yeah. well, as Mark can probably attest, the uh, the original Apple doesn't even use the index hole, if I remember at all. It's totally based on software timing. Totally soft. I can attest to that as well. That is correct. There is no encoder, optical encoder, in there. Yeah. That's interesting. So that's something I just kind of took for granted that I assumed it was a physical thing, but it is uh, obviously it's a kind of a logical, dynamic thing. So that's. And oh God, cool. we're talking about floppies again. Yeah, well, listen. <laughs> yeah. That's... And, and the, the other handy thing is, is that that's why those double sided punches um, work so well for the Apples, but the IBM compatibles to make a flippy, you had to go through the pain and the rump part of. Adding that extra punch through the the shielding of the floppy for oh, yeah, so that the index could cool. be red. Yeah. And that is interesting. Yeah, the Apple just required a, a right enable notch on the other side of the disc. Yeah. But a color computer, you can make a flippy, but you have to punch the right notch and you have to punch another index hole read on the uh, on the other on the other side. Even both sides. Up sector floppy, it still uses that one index pulse per rotation. That that would be on the left side of Ron's head there. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> and yeah. Um, yeah, that's cool. Uh, Retro Innovations, Jim Brain says that Northstar used a 10 sector, 10 sector hard sector. Sadly, save them. If you find them, you can't <laughs> buy them anymore. So yeah, yeah. So floppy talk's been a been, it's been a big thing, and it's sweeping the nation. And if you haven't gotten floppy fever, uh, go out and get yourself self self some today. It's just about ready to become its own spin-off show, I think. It, well, point. we are we are working on that. I'm in talks with David Ladd, but since he is, uh, you know, since he is courting some of the more elite shows uh, on the podcast <laughs> networks now. <laughs> Um, his his asking price has gone up considerably. <laughs> yeah, I've seen his new rider there. All the stuff he wants in his dressing room is just insane. Uh, remove the brown M and M's and seventy two <laughs> virgins and all kinds of stuff. This guy's asking for now. So, <laughs> custom eight so, inch floppy drive, so, all kinds of things. So, um, I heard a very interesting comparison uh, recently when I was listening to um, the TRS eighty trash talk, and so when they mentioned uh, Coco Talk. There was a really interesting analogy there where um, the Coco Crew podcast was much like a news magazine and Coco Talk is very similar to The View. <laughs> <laughs> and so I thought that was... Which uh, one of us is whoopie? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's obviously not David Ladd. <laughs> so, that um, was good timing, Steve. You did that right when, when Curtis was taking a drink. I saw him almost lose it. <laughs> and, um, and a better a better analogy, too, um, at least for the Coco Crew side, was when um, Boise kind of referred to them as the NPR of uh, podcasting, which is great, you know. Um, great analogy. And it's, and I've heard, you know, and, and rightfully so, the Coco Crew is, is a synonymous with, like, the Rainbow Magazine. But even when there was a rainbow, there were other magazines. So we can be one of the... You know, other magazines. One of the uh, will be the National Enquirer of uh, <laughs> of color computer information. This we'll week we saw them. Bigfoot flying a UFO. <laughs> yeah, they have a much more much more structured uh, format than you know. This is all free form and just you know talk. Yeah, actually prepare for shows. You know that kind of stuff. Yeah. They have a subject list. <laughs> <laughs> show we notes. just can't be bothered. <laughs> yes, imagine that. Yeah. yeah, there's Karen. Welcome, Karen. Hey, hey. So let's um, now. Now that we've kind of introduced everybody here, let's do a let's do a brief. Um, I want to do a quick like feedback and look at what has happened in in our world this um, this past week here. So um, let's look at uh, some feedback that we've received recently on some of the videos, and so. Um, uh, this person here has commented on a couple of Coco Talk episodes now. His name is Dan Yalti. And on episode 19, where we were talking about Coco hardware, he was saying, great computer back in the bay, too bad, rest in peace, Radio Shack. Um, it says Raspberry Pi is good to run an emulator. I think um, an emulator is a better way to go. Um, new hardware cost-wise isn't so good, my two cents anyways. And then later on, he was responding to... Um, another video talking about um, FPGA boards and um, he's posting a link here which I haven't had a chance to look at yet but he also has some more uh, thoughts here on uh, making a new Coco. He says in order to make a true Coco 4 I think we need to move beyond 8 bits even if it's just the 16 bits doing it in emulation makes more sense. 
Um, we could emulate something like a 68,000 series is what he's saying here. Higher video modes. Um, someone does not step up, step up and make it happen soon. It never will. So uh, uh, he may or may not be aware of some of the multiple projects that are already going on um, with lots of different Coco hardware. Um, now, as far as last week's episode, which I really enjoyed, ease of use, uh, we've gotten 112 views, and that's a little bit lower than we usually get, but also bear in mind, we're on a new channel now. So Evan Wright has joined us. Hey, Evan, how are you? And so we're, we're broadcasting on a new channel, and I don't know that everybody knows to go here to get the replays, and, and it is what it is, right? Uh, as far as downloads right now, this is a nice new milestone now, 1,700 downloads and change we've, we've reached on the audio versions. And this is what I find to be interesting is what is our most listened to episodes right now? Actually, Oz K-Fest is our most downloaded episode. Um, episode 26 coming in at number two, Nick Marentis, pop star pilot. Look at this. Floppy talk is number four. Floppy talk episode is in the top four. And that's um, only going to go uh, up now after the Coco crew. Exactly. Yes. I'm going to say his, uh, his asking price is, <laughs> is gone up considerably. So a little bit of feedback from around the web there. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's nice. Evan writes here. Hey, Evan. Um, it's nice to be recognized by the community and, and by other people who are doing what you do. And I thought that was kind of cool. Um, so this has been kind of a cool month for us being kind of, um, getting some airtime in other places. So, uh, later on, I'll show the, um, Glenside newsletter where they gave us a nice little write up on what Coco talk is. Uh, we were mentioned in uh, the trash talk because you know we are um, going to be part of of, uh, of Tandy Assembly, so it's kind of be nice to be mentioned and to be, I guess, validated is a good word. I think John Linville's been very kind to give us some validation, and um, I liked the host discussion where they said, "Okay, well, how does the Coco crew feel about Coco Talk?" <laughs> Didn't see that one coming, but that was interesting to see that brought up, and um, and basically yeah, everybody said, "My spot." Yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, I think the great thing about this is that um, we are kind of both providing some some content that can cross pollinate these shows because at least once a month now we'll be able to talk about what was discussed on the podcast, and that's going to help feed some content for us. And and now at least some of the things that we're doing are now making their way to that podcast, which is a nice uh, nice testament to you know Ron's Garage. It's a great segment. The things that you show off are you got a nice collection. Um, you know, David Ladd and Floppy Talk, great topic. So hopefully this will continue to help feed each other with content and some synergies. So, Yeah, and I, I like the fact, great as stuff. they mentioned, that like a, a platform that had way more computers sold than we did, like a Commodore only has one podcast. So yeah, the fact yeah. that we have two that are sustaining and actually still, I think, improving in numbers is, is a good sign. Definitely. Yep. <clears throat> more dedicated fans. Yeah. Yeah. Rabbit, I believe, is the correct term. <laughs> that's that's what I like hey. most about that uh, a Computer Chronicles episode. Is whatever year that dates back from ninety or whatever, and that even then uh, all the Coco uh, users were crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> why, why are you still holding on to this stuff? Well, we just like it, and, you know. Here yeah. we are. <laughs> how, how does Stuart Chaffee put? He put something like, "People are still cuckoo about their cocos or something <laughs> along that line." Something like that. We gotta find that sound bite, right? And I have uh, my, my my main computer back in the day was always a, a Tandy color computer. Um, I had some. I had computers I had before that, and I've had a number of computers I picked up after that, of course. But uh, the Tandy was always my my favorite. I actually didn't 
back in its heyday, I never owned a Commodore 64. I have one in my retro computer collection now. I like it. It's a nice machine. Actually, it's a 128, a Commodore 128. It's a very nice computer. It's certainly got some hardware advantages as far as sound, for instance, over a, a color computer. Um, the interesting thing is the, uh, the programming environment. You know, it's much harder to write stuff that is uh, multitasking or relocatable on the Commodore because of its CPU structure. So, you know, and each of the machines I've got in my, my retro collection has its, its things that it does well and, and other things it doesn't do so well. Mm-hmm. I think that's the one of the fun things about adulting at this point now is that we have a little bit more dispensable income than we had when we were younger and a lot of things now you can afford. Like I got a TI 994A for $40. I would not have been able to purchase a TI for $40 when it was a new product, you know. So you can sometimes pick up a deal. So the combination of having some money to burn and, and things being a little bit more affordable allow you to perhaps even experience things that you didn't um, you didn't have back in the day. And that was another great host discussion is when is enough enough and what are your rules and parameters for your hobby. Um, and it can get out of control very easily. Uh, I have I have three things that help me. I have I have uh, a financial limitation. I have uh, a space limitation, and I have a wife. And between those three factors here, it definitely keeps things in check. Um, so uh, it, it's 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 a fun thing to do. Uh, everybody's gonna consume the hobby the way that works for them. Some people will run an emulator. Some people will want to have real hardware. Um, and you know how you do it, it's kind of up to you. Uh, the one thing you learn, or what, because you can look at anybody on any retro group, you're never going to have the most toys because somebody else is going to post up a photo of their wall of cartridges and new inbox collections, and everybody's got a bigger, better museum than the next person. So to think you're going to have the most toys, it's, it's kind of unrealistic. So it shouldn't be a pissing contest, it should just be your thing that you do however you're able to do it, you know. Yeah, and I remember like Marty Goodman had multiple storage sheds all over his property loaded with Coco stuff back in the day. So, gee, I uh, have certain machines I'm not really interested in for various reasons. Yeah, you know, either you know, I'm almost I'm, I'm I'm almost not interested in some of the other Tandys because their limitations with their graphics that's black and white. You know, and the uh, the games and stuff that were produced on them. You know, there's no color. There's the very, very blocky, very low resolution gra graphics. So, to to date, I have not added any of the other TRS-80s to my collection. So, even though the the, the Coco is one of my favorite retro machines, the other Tandys not so much. Are you talking about like a Model One, Three, Four type thing? Yeah, I, I certainly used them back in the day. Um, I never actually owned one. It was always a friend's or the one at the store or whatever. Um, but yeah, Model 1, 3, and, and 4 series. I did at one point, and I sort of regret, but not so much letting it go, was I did own a, uh, a Model, uh, it was a 6000. It had been upgraded from a 16. And I actually used to run a bulletin board on it at one point. It was running uh, the Xenix operating system, which was a uh, Unix. Uh, Unix. Yeah. That thing was was a beast. Yeah, that was a dual CPU too, wasn't it? A Z eighty and a sixty eight thousand. 
Um, yeah, it primarily used its uh, it primarily used its, its sixty eight thousand CPU in the mode where I was was running it, which was running the SCO uh, Xenix uh, OS. Um, yeah, and the Z eighty was basically an IO coprocessor at that point. Yeah, um, earlier in its uh, when it, uh, I was originally manufactured as a Model Two in that line. Uh, the Z eighty was the primary CPU. And it would run either CPM or, or Tristos. I ended up letting it go. Um, I sort of regret letting it go. I would, you know, but uh, the thing it did it ran very little in the way of, of games and stuff like that. It was basically a business machine. It did a very good job of running my bulletin board, um, but uh, not much in the way of gaming content on it. Right, right. Hey, John, how much time do you have? Are you pushed for time? So maybe we'll get you to, to talk more about the event before you have to go. Are you able to hang for a little bit? Um, I don't have any plans. So, I mean, I'll okay. be here the whole time, more or less. Okay. Uh, well, I'm going like to say. Go ahead. Just, sorry. just insert there. If you want to learn more about the Tandy uh, 16, 6000 Xenix, uh, Peter Sotinsky will have a display of that. Uh, <laughs> and the next week at this time at uh, Tandy Assembly. So, come on out. Yeah, I've gleaned a little knowledge by listening to the trash talkers. It is interesting. He's he's a, he's got a he's a good um, good resource, you know, for knowledge and experience and dedication to to those systems, especially the two uh, thousands and the the sixteen. I think and the what is the model two and the model sixteen. Um, he's an advocate. Yeah, model twelve things. was in there too, if I remember. Yeah, yeah mini version. Well, it was like more the follow-on to the two, I guess. And then you could turn the twelve into a sixteen. And I can't tell you the real difference between the sixteen and the six thousand, other than the, the labels on the outside. But <laughs> <laughs> it's a bigger number; they could charge more. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, we're going to run a commercial, and and in, in, in this episode, we're going to be running a lot of spots for Tandy Assembly too. We're going to be running. Um, spots for all the people who are sponsoring Tandy Assembly. So every time we take a commercial break, it will have not only my annoying plug, but we're going to have a little um, sponsor thank you plug and, and a little Tandy Assembly um, video as well. So let's go ahead and do that, and we'll be back in just a minute, folks. Talk for being a Tandy Assembly sponsor. Tandy Assembly would like to thank our sponsor, Retro Innovations. Retro Innovations is a producer and designer of Tandy Color Computer and General System products. Producer of the Coco Flash Multi-ROM Emulator. The Coco Flash offers 8 megabytes of ROM storage and supports large ROM images. It also includes a built-in Orchestra 90 compatible music synthesizer. For more details on this product and others, visit www.goforetro.com. That's www.go4retro.com. Thank you, Retro Innovations, for being a Tandy Assembly sponsor. Hello, this is David Ladd, and you're watching Original Gamer Stevie Stroh. What's going on, everybody? Original Gamer Stevie Stroh here, and when you are done with Coco Talk, why not head on over to my YouTube channel and get your share of gameplay goodness? There you will find everything from the old school to the next gen. There are video game reviews, interviews, how to's, and replays of Coco Talk. So, for all of your video game needs on YouTube, head on over to youtube.com/slash OG Stevie Stroh for your share of gameplay goodness today.
Radio Shack store-wide manager's red tag sale is on now. We've slashed prices 20%, 30%, 40%, 50%. Save on famous Radio Shack Hi-Fi, car stereo, radios, toys, TV games, calculators, walkie-talkies, and CB radios. Look for the big red tag. Save like never before on these and literally hundreds of red tag specials. Hurry into Radio Shack today. Every journey begins with a single step. Whether you bought it or inherited it, you'll always remember your first computer. The sense of wonder, the challenge, the excitement, the sense of accomplishment. For millions of people, that first computer was a Tandy computer from Radio Shack. Something new is coming. Introducing Tandy Assembly, the first gathering of its kind specifically for Tandy and Radio Shack computers. From the pocket computer to the Tandy 6000 and everything in between. If you began with the original TRS-80 computer, the color computer, business systems such as the Model 12, or any of the wide array of MS-DOS compatible laptops, desktops, and servers, we invite you to join us at Tandy Assembly in Chillicothe, Ohio, October 7th and 8th, 2017. Every step of a journey has a story. We invite you to share yours. Tandy Assembly. I tell you what, that Myro is one talented mofo because uh, everything <laughs> he produces is just pure gold. And uh, I got chills. Watching that gave me chills. <laughs> it kind of is like, you know, the the, the, the eve before Cocoa Fest is kind of like uh, Christmas Eve. And now before Tandy Assembly, we've got that Christmas Eve feeling all over again. It's pretty cool. Um, it's a chance to get together with your your fellow uh, freaks and, and fly your fleet, your freak flag, you know. Oh, speaking of freaks, Simon Jonasson has joined us. <laughs> <laughs> what a segue. Hey, Simon, the madman is here. All the hey, way could from somebody the fix my Facebook, please? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, kind of, I'm kind of getting motivated. A commercial there for a contemporary product, which was uh, Retro Innovations, and it's, uh, it's Cocoa Flash. That's, uh, that's interesting. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, some of the, the software development, actually most of the software development for that with, uh, with Jim. And it's a, a nice nice companion to, if you have a Coco SDC, it basically does for ROM images what the Coco SDC does for floppies. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, and I know you have spoken about it before, and, um, and we should probably try to do a proper um, demonstration of that sometime. Maybe if I if I see you out at a, an event again, we can record a video or we'll do a Skype thing. But yeah, it'd be great to properly demonstrate what the Cocoa Flash can do, what it looks like, um, and how to load some of your own content onto nothing. You might already have all those videos out there, but yeah, it'd probably be good to, to maybe show those off one time. It's definitely yeah, I've got a good product. There's a video I've posted out on, on YouTube that shows it from you know a point of view of using the machine you know with the with the Coco Flash in it. Once you've got the ROM images loaded into the Coco Flash, how mm -hmm. it holds ROM images and how you can launch uh, multiple ROM images, etc. The um, 
programming a new image, um, that procedure has changed a couple times. I've made it uh, a little bit more easy to use. There, there's that ease of use again. <laughs> but uh, Ease of use. <laughs> which is definitely important. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, uh, I had to... I, I've got, finally got that streamlined down to the point where at least it is a manageable procedure to add a, a new image in there. It has been for a while. and uh, But I don't have any video showing that, um, how you add a new image onto it yet. But I do have something that on, on YouTube already that does show it you know, in operation, playing a bunch of, uh, couple games off of it, etc. So. Okay. Yeah, maybe we, you and I can work on that sometime. We'll get together and maybe try to record something. That'd be kind of cool. Mm -hmm. Very, very cool. And John Strong is with us. Hey, John. Sorry about that. There's so many faces popping up in the Skype call here. Uh, how you feeling this week, John? Any better? Uh, a little bit better. I yeah. think it really easy. Now, I, I don't recall the final um, outcome, but are you going to be at Tandy Assembly this weekend coming up, too? No, I'm not. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I... We've had a sister getting married, so right, 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 right. If right. I'm up to going anywhere, I have to do that. Right. I right, wish. Right, right. I wish we had one of these assemblies for uh, retro computers that's a little bit closer to my home state of uh, Florida. Yeah. Well, we talked about that, and and that might be something we could do, like a Florida a fest or a Florida assembly at some point in time. There's uh we could definitely probably fill a Chuck E. Cheese or a Steak and Shake or something, you know. <laughs> if only Florida was a, a large U.S. state. Um. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't about to wash away. Well, there's that. Right. We just need to make we need to make sure that if we schedule any meeting for Florida, we don't do it during hurricane season. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And then Bruce, Bill, and I have to organize a, a Western Canada one too. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Might just be the three of us sitting in a field somewhere. Well, we might be able to get Neil in it. <laughs> I would suggest that we do a part of meeting that we do it in the winter for two reasons. One, in the winter is not hurricane season, and we, you know, it's basically, you know, it's not rainy. We have good sunny weather, etc., and uh, we'll probably attract a lot of people to come down to that meeting just because of the weather. Yeah. Yeah, that's where the snowbirds come to Florida in the winter because our winters uh, get to sometimes a brisk 70 degrees. <laughs> well, we can do it in California, too. Yeah, right. Yeah, that might be something. Um, you know, it, it, it would probably end up, because of the size, it would probably be more like a club meeting than a festival. But still, that wouldn't be bad, you know, just a little Florida gathering. Um, uh, it could be done. Vince Tran is, is close to me. He's about a half hour from me. Uh, you are down south. There's a couple people down south. There's a, a bunch of people up north. Michael Brandt is up there. Um, uh, John T. Robbs is up north. But yeah, off the top of my head, there's at least a half a dozen of us that I kind of know by name. Um, and I'm sure there might be a few more. And so that, that would be kind of interesting. Um, the thing that, that always crosses my mind when you're going to do something like a Cocoa Fest or Tandy Assembly is what is being done to leverage local marketing, you know, like newspapers and, uh, 
you know, either for you know Craigslist or bulletin boards or libraries or anything else to kind of promote the fact that hey, we have this weekend festival because. I always know about when there's a renaissance festival. I know when there's going to be a pirate festival or an art show. And so I always know when there's going to be something going on and any surrounding community within 100 miles from where I'm at because these people kind of manage to promote the fact they're doing this. And uh, it'd be interesting to see how that can apply to these events, you know. Yeah, put something in the paper for the old folks that read it. Yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, in the past few days or, or past week or so, um, Randy Kindig, I know, spent some uh, time uh, listing the event in uh, some Craigslist um, for the some of the surrounding towns like Columbus and and um, Dayton or whatever. And I'm pretty sure he also has um, gotten them listed in some of like you know the event sections of some of the local papers. Um, that's all pretty recent, so it probably could have right. been a little earlier, but. Um, there is some effort there to at least get it, get the word out that something's coming. So. Right, 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 right. So yeah, that's that's something that would definitely help. I'm I I've come up with and nobody steal this from me, but this is going to be a, something I'm going to put on my slideshow at my Tandy assembly presentation. But I'm going to talk about when you want to establish something on uh, social media or like on the internet, like a broadcast. The old saying is, if you build it, they will come. But if you spam the hell out of it, you greatly increase your odds. So, <laughs> so <Very> true. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, but I'd, all indications point to Tandy Assembly being a huge success on, on a lot of levels. And I just think, you know, if we get 45 people there and we're all just having a good time, that's successful. But I would estimate there's going to be significantly more than that. But um I, you know, you, you the what got me going to Coco Fest was the Coco Crew podcast because you had somebody championing it and talking it up and and creating the interest. So um, there's not just one podcast at this point now too. There is technically yeah. three or four. So you have the Trash Talkers. You've got Floppy Days. Uh, we have been plugging it here and on the Coco Crew as well. So there's. Definitely a lot, a lot of fanfare um, helping to spread this word, and so I, I think the buzz and the interest is definitely there. Yeah. So, um, Steve, uh, it's kind of before your time with the community. Um, I'm sure Curtis will remember uh, that uh, we had uh, some some Skype calls that were kind of on a, a monthly basis. I think um, several years ago, and um, we get some of the you know, some of the well-known people, I guess, is, um, you know, me and Boise and, and Steve Bjork was in on them and Tim Lindner and a, a few other folks. And uh, they were kind of, well, they were more like just get together and, and talk. But that always came up as a topic there is, you know, how can we promote Cocoa Fest better or, or at all, really? <laughs> some, of them did, um, uh, uh, some of them became a little bit... Uh, uh, Let's complain about Glenside. <laughs> but uh, the, so anyway, so it's it's been a, a long-standing thing in the community. Is hey, we've got this. We should talk about it more, and uh, see if we get more people to turn out. And just nobody really did it. And so <laughs> that's the kind of was part of the inspiration for what I started doing with some of the blogging, and then eventually to the, the podcast and, and whatever else. And you know, like you say, I think it is. It's sort of a self-fulfilling thing, you know. You stand up and talk about how great it is, and other people come and say, "Hey, that actually was pretty cool." And then they tell people about how great it is, and you know, and they tell two friends, and they tell two friends, and so on, and so on, and so on. <laughs> so, 
Anyway, sorry, to, that's another old reference. I hope some of you old, old yeah, guys. No, yeah, no, yeah, no, no, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and giving, you know, targeting your, your advertising for it to people that you know will be of a like mind, like other retro computer groups, etc. Like doing a generic um, newspaper. I know we used to do that here for Coco stuff, and we used to have a couple of trade, not really trade shows, but just more like, you know, exhibitions that we used to do at the malls and stuff. And attendance didn't really go up whether we advertised or not because your average computer nerd already knew this type of stuff was going on for the various platforms, and they didn't read the paper to look for this stuff. So it wasn't a very good return investment, at least back then. I don't know, maybe that's different now, but I think we start targeting maybe some other tech podcasts, even stuff that's more modern, or some of the YouTube pages, et cetera, that are that, and maybe see if they can maybe promote it a little bit. That might help. I was thinking that since uh, Florida is all the way down here in the corner of the U.S., yeah, unlike uh, Chicago, which is a little bit more centrally located, one of the things I could do, we wanted to organize a meeting for that, is to, you know, put in some of the other retro computer uh, folks as well, not just color computer. Um, and I have, you know, I've mentioned on this, I have uh, PI-99, I have uh, an Apple, I have a bunch of other machines as well as just the color computer, you know. So, and I think that uh, as retro computer enthusiasts, uh, these users of you know all these old machines, we have a lot of stuff in common that we can talk about. Oh, Mark Hoverholder is a good example of Definitely. that. Definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. The question just becomes: Is there is there any other way you can get? Because so the the people who would come anyways, or who would know about it, or would know how to search for it, they're going to find it, or they're going to know about it. But the idea of getting just a casual person to stroll by and check out this thing, um, reaching out to people who aren't necessarily directly retro, but you know what happens if you're just like, hey, honey, what do you want to do this weekend? Oh, look, here in the paper it says there's this cocoa fest, and it's been going on for 28 years, and they're talking about a 35 year old computer. Uh, you know what? For craps and giggles, let's take a look and see what these jackasses are doing. You know, you might get some random. Um, it, it's it's really more about the effort and uh, just trying new things and, and seeing if you can get more people to come. And and I've I've got no complaints about the attendance of Coco Fest. It's it's been nice. But you know, if it was, I don't know if you guys have noticed this about me or not, but I'm a slightly overzealous when it comes to trying to promote things. To uh, <laughs> I had no idea. Borderline annoying, but you know, if it's something that you are invested in and it's something that you want people to um to you know perhaps take a look at it's you know nobody's going to just go out of their way to check you out you have to reach out and there's got to be different ways to to try to reach out and and expand your 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 sphere of influence you know so just try different yeah. things i'm i'm involved with uh you know space stuff i have um you know observatory and i have telescopes and and i found um an article on um model one being used with a telescope and i was able to post that in a couple of the places where i hang out for uh astronomy stuff and then i got uh some people talking about um their first computer being a model one or a coco and i directed them over this way so yeah yeah maybe well uh, you know even from that angle you know what i know uh and other things maybe that'll um, be a, a way to draw other people from the periphery yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I think all these things are because sometimes you'll I'll be in a different retro group and I'll be watching that group and they'll post they'll post a random thing about uh, something that has to do with the TRS eighty and then that's your chance 
to comment in and say, oh, that's cool. Yeah, you like this. And by the way, you know, here's, you know, here's a podcast you can check out and here's a YouTube channel you can check out. So when I see these random postings on other groups I'm a member of, I, I, I take that opportunity to strategically share some other resources that if anybody found that post interesting, they may find these other things more interesting too. Um, do, you guys have a, do you guys have a, um, a gut feeling about somebody who uh, refers to our computers as trash 80s? I'm not a fan of the term. I'm not either. Um, I, I, you know, I think the people. It, it's almost like um, being a person of color having the right to use the N word. Um, <laughs> if you own one and you're loyal to one, maybe you can say it uh, affectionately. But um, uh, from the outside, I look at it as as not flattering. We don't <laughs> it, it wasn't a term of affection back in the day. I'll tell you that. <laughs> right. I know some people claim that now, but I don't think they were in the community back then because it definitely wasn't. That was like Commodore versus Crapple versus Trash Shady. Like everybody was dissing everybody else back then. Yeah. Those yeah, I just sort of uh, overlook it these days. You know, a lot of people just use it as a uh, a term of you know nickname, etc. For the machines, whatever. You know, um, I, 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 as I said, I, I sort of had a low opinion of their their black and white block graphics line myself. So, you know, but. Uh, who- Whatever. Each of the machines had their own their strengths and their weaknesses. What they did well, what they didn't do well. Yeah. Michael so. Newman in the chat says he's never been a fan of that term either. Glad to hear that, Michael. <laughs> um, who's the guy who does all the assem- Who did all the assembly books um, that Coco Crew interviewed, as well as uh, William Barton Jr. Lance Leventhal. Lance Leventhal. So, so Lance Leventhal, who did all the assembly books, he was recently on the Antic podcast too, and they asked him what's your favorite system? He goes, oh, it would have to be the Trash 80. And he just kind of casually referred to it as that because I guess that was just what he was used to calling it back then or used to hearing it back then. So obviously he wasn't meaning to disparage the system because he said it was one of his favorites, but he called it the Trash 80, you know? Yeah, um, yeah and that's why I've seen that a lot. And that's why I don't use the term myself typically to refer to the machine generally. But uh yeah, I've seen it a lot uh, used a lot by people just casually to refer to that general line of computers. So I don't yeah. give it a lot of thought. Yeah, Solstice is saying too in the live chat. Never liked Trash Eighty, given the TRS Eighty was not a crap computer, but it was an ingenious effort by Radio Shack to get computers into everyone's hands. Uh, yeah, agreed. Maybe yeah. I should maybe I should make a uh, graphic, you know, with a yeah. cross through it. Yeah. No Trash Eighty no spoken. Trash. Yeah. And it's <laughs> ironic that the uh, the uh, TRS-80 podcast calls themselves the Trash Talkers, but obviously they're, they're it's a play on words. And it's a tongue-in-cheek thing. Yeah, they're a, fa- they're a fan of the platform. So I do remember back in the early 80s, Rainbow Magazine, in the letters page, when they were arguing what to call the TRS-80 color computer, everybody was saying, no, Trash-80, we don't even have a Z80 in here. But there was an argument between ADC and Coco and eventually Coco 1, but... Right. Oh, so you actually said a Cray computer. I saw the Cray, but I thought that was a typo there, Solstice. He's saying, no, the TRS-80 was not a Cray computer, right? When the Cray computer was a supercomputer. Yes, granted, it wasn't a supercomputer, but it was still a valiant effort to get computers in the hands of the public. We had a Gray computer. It was a Gray, (laughs) Battleship Gray. (laughs) And Nick Marionette's... 
Yeah, <laughs> Nick Marionettes is in the live chat, uh, biggest uh, supporter of uh, Nitrous Nine out there. Uh, <laughs> ease <a> of use. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, not a fan of that at all. Uh, and, and I think Mark Overholz and I were talking about this uh, recently too. We were just chatting in, in a car in a car drive. But um, what do you think about being called a geek if you're in IT? And honestly, I'm not a fan of that either. Whereas, you know, Best Buy tried to um, hipsterize the term geek squad to make geek chic. And um, I, I will admit that in general, I am a geek. The fact I'm playing with a color computer and I collect old things and I have action figures on display and I have comic books and things like that. Yes, I'm not going to defend the fact I'm a geek. But when it comes to the fact that I do IT for a living, I don't want to think of myself as a geek or be referred to as anyone's geek. You know what I mean? I'm a professional. Yeah, I've spent many years. Maybe we should have a pocket protector with the uh, Coco Talk logo on it. <laughs> <laughs> like you, you might qualify as a nerd instead. I'm not sure. I, you know, they're just not. You know, I nerds. might buy that. <laughs> yeah, David yeah. Ladd is uh, known to wear a pocket protector on on many occasions. <laughs> so. Yeah, geek. I'm a bit better with though, because I mean, even Bill Gates has referred to you know us as a collective group as geeks, and you know the famous geeks are going to take over the world, which has pretty well already happened. So. Right, right. For me, that's almost a badge of honor at this point. Yeah, I, I, I still take umbrage with it to steal more lines from John Linville. So, <laughs> so, so my, my wife and kids um, are, are always surprised whenever there's somebody who would fit, fit the geek model, you know, a typical IT guy or whatever, that isn't totally enthusiastic about retro computers. Uh, so they, they like they've referred to Coco Fest as, as a geek fest or a dirt nerd fest or whatever. And so they expect just typical nerds or geeks or whatever to be there. And I say, no, 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 we are of definitely a very special breed. Of <laughs> <laughs> We're like a subspecies. Yeah, the, exactly. the upper echelon of geek elite. <laughs> but I mean, I listen to other podcasts like Current Geek, which is, I mean, they, they totally go for the geek label and the nerd label. In fact, they differentiate what's the difference between them and all this. And they, you know, they cover geek culture every week on a podcast. So the interesting thing is, uh, when I took the job uh, as IT manager up here in Michigan at a facility, uh, my wife's family is not very technical. They wasn't understanding what I was going to be doing. And, and my explanation to get them the clue in was Chief Geek. <laughs> Matt, Chief Geek, right? Chief Geek and Bottle Washer. Now, now Nick Marionettes, who's not joining us in Skype, I'm not sure why. I know Nick Marentes is in the middle of moving, downsizing his house. But, um, Nick, if, in case you haven't learned... Um, David Ladd has uh, been interviewed by the Coco Crew podcast, so we can no longer make fun of him on his show. We must give him the proper respect that he deserves. So we cannot include or even mention David Ladd as we're joking about the term geek here right now. He is Sir David Ladd. Uh, uh, by the way, Dave, your, your check is having a good return, by the way. So. <laughs> hey, are any of you guys a member of the um, Computer Enthusiast Master Race? Yes. <laughs> Yeah, that's a Facebook group. Yeah, I, I, I find name. it funny. I, I find <laughs> because that that that's a long running um, pissing contest between PC and console. You know, so the well, people they have, who they have fifty one thousand members. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're a big uh, group. So that is, you know, what is what? So what's happening now is that they're just different ways to for you to. 
um, kind of spray your testosterone and mark different territories. So these guys want to have the biggest, bestest rig. So I've got the latest i7 processor and I've got the four channel NVIDIA GTX 1080 Ti times four with liquid cooling. And I've got LEDs in my case and I've got, ooh, you know, it's like to Tim the tool man. <laughs> you know, so it's everybody's trying to see who can bark the loudest. And so these guys hey. consider themselves the master race of owning computers, you know. Has anybody put LEDs in their Cocos yet? We we talked about that. Has anybody? I haven't, but hey, it's, it's I, cool. I, yeah. There's been power on, off ones, upper lowercase switch ones. I've seen all kinds of them. Hey, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I actually did one back in the day as well. I I actually did that uh, turbo light thing back about 25 years ago, which mm. uh, you boosted up the the signal to to the uh, 1.78. It would have the little light that would come on. Oh, neat! So you were in turbo mode. <laughs> I remember that button yeah, on yeah, the I old had, the old 46 machines. Yeah. I actually sold I it a little board. That. I remember seeing that uh, that little project, and I also saw there was one that somebody did. They actually put some cool, I think, bluish LEDs inside their color computer case that yeah. lit up uh, through the heat vents, which was interesting to look at. It was an interesting visual effect. Uh, I sold a board years ago that you could clip onto your CPU, and it decoded some of the signals inside, so it showed when it was hot in different modes. Oh, and it went through the uh, heat vent on the Coco 3, and it was sized, so you just pressed it in, clipped them to the right pins on your CPU. Yeah. I remember on the Coco 1, like, a lot of people drilled a hole in the uh, the 4K, 16K, 32K badge, and that's where they put their power on-off indicated light. Hmm. Interesting. Because that, that doesn't have to do too much defacing of the case at that point, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, Karen is in the uh, text chat, too. I guess we lost him on the live chat, but he, was, he said that amazing how many people are geeks now that would probably uh, have been using the word with its original intent in the day. Now, for those of you not aware of the origin of the term geek, back in the days of the circus sideshow freaks, the geek was the guy who would bite the head off of a live chicken. That's that's where the term geek came from. Now that's a rock star. But. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that's an Alice yeah. Cooper or Ozzy Osbourne concert, right? So. <laughs> Cooper, so that, I don't think... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, speaking of power indicators, the fact that the uh, color computer does not have any sort of power indicator on it has always been a little bit of a, a thorn in my side that's irritated me. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, I can't tell... And, and to this day, it annoys me. I can't tell if I accidentally left the yeah, darn thing. Yeah, on. I've done that too because my Coco 3 is right in front of my keyboard here. It's under a little shelf. And sometimes I'll reach in there to get something. I'm like, man, it's hot in here. Oh, I left my Coco on. So it's just. <laughs> Which is not good for the machine either. Not necessarily. Well, you could use a master well, switch system like I have. Yeah, yeah that's what I do. I strongly, I strongly suggest. For anybody who's running their color computers these days, to hook it in some sort of a switched power outlet or something, um, because of the fact even if you turn off the power switch on the color computer, the high voltage section of the power supply is still running. It only switches the low voltage output on the on the supply with that switch on the back of the machine. So you're constantly running that transformer in the back, even if you turn the machine off, if it's still plugged right. into power. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Good tip. Good tip. Uh, One of the changes I did to the MPI that I recently got was uh, to upgrade the Coco 3, but as well as doing it, it now has a power on LED that goes for the heat vent. 
Very cool. Very cool. All right, let's run some more uh, spots for Tandy Assembly uh, sponsors. Maybe another Tandy Assembly uh, promo here. And then since we still have John, maybe we can go ahead and, and go over the uh, Tandy Assembly website like we typically do later on in the show and um, look at the uh, all of our different speaker lineups and our presenters and things like that. So um, hold that thought, folks. It's time for another Tandy Assembly sponsor recognition here. Be right back. Tandy Assembly would like to thank our sponsor, SIDTRUG, the Sydney TRS-80 MS-DOS Users Group, a group of computer enthusiasts meeting on a regular basis to discuss hardware and software issues. Their origins are with the Tandy TRS-80 and compatible System-80 range of computers. SIDTRUG meets at Regents Park Community Center Hall, 1 Amy Street, Regents Park, New South Wales, 2143. For more details about SIDTRUG, visit SIDTRUG.org. That's S-Y-D... T-R-U-G dot org. Thank you to Sidtrug for being a Tandy Assembly sponsor. Something new is coming. Tandy Assembly. Tandy Assembly is about Radio Shack and Tandy Computers. Tandy Assembly is about interacting. Tandy Assembly is about people. Tandy Assembly is about fun. The first gathering of its kind Computers of the 70s, 80s, and 90s. All Radio Shack and Tandy makes and models. Join, Join us. us. Don't miss Tandy Assembly. In Chillicothe, Ohio. October 7th and 8th. Whether you're near or far. Tandy Assembly is for everyone. Visit our webpage at www.tandyassembly.com. Tandy Assembly. Hey, this is Bruce Moore, author of Force of Doom, and you're watching the original gamer, Stevie Stroke. Are you ready? For the forest of Doom. You gotta love that. November 2017, I think. <laughs> the best release date ever. <laughs> That's another title that we're definitely looking forward to seeing here in the near future. Will be um, Bruce Moore's Forest of Doom. Um, and we got to hear uh, one of Bruce Moore's little spots on the latest episode of the Coco Crew podcast this month, too. So it's great to see how um, all these community projects are getting the uh, getting the airplay that they deserve. So one thing we have to do is we have to get Bruce on for a demo of the game because I, I don't think too many people have actually seen it. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. Well, he like the actual gameplay. Yeah, he has mentioned that we will do that in November. So one of the first Saturdays in November, we will debut it here on Coco Talk when it becomes available to the public and. Um, it would be interesting to see that on a ROM cartridge, too. And we have heard that basic games can be put on a ROM cartridge. So I, I don't know if that's still something that might happen. 
uh, I know he he has a distribution method where he's going to be selling the book or the strategy guide to go with it, and you'll get a download link from that book. But it might be neat to have maybe a limited uh, run of some tangible copies of the program. That might be kind of cool. So if only we knew a guy. If only there was a source for either, I don't know, cartridge cases, maybe circuit boards, I don't know, maybe a production facility, Boxes. maybe somebody who could put it in a box and shrink wrap it for us. You're just <laughs> dreaming at this point. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely... Uh, Crazy talk. Talk to him about that, but um, uh, he's got his own plans there with the with the book and on everything, and uh, um, you know it'll just have to work out. He, I think he's open to the notion of a of a you know a collector's edition or something like that, but I don't think he wants to think about it until after the the November release. So right, yeah. And you're kind of busy with Rick Adams stuff right now too, aren't you? Um, well, I've actually finished up with Rick Adams stuff for now, but other than, you know, I'm sure there'll be people who want, want, want some after we sell out. But <laughs> Right, right. And what was the total production run as far as number of units of bomb threat? Uh, it's going to be, uh was two dozen, okay. um, and then uh, a couple of those are already marked, like for Rick or whatever, so. Okay. So. Yeah. I'm going to wait until uh, the Cocoa Fest in Chicago uh, to pick up mine because I want him to get him to sign it, but. Just, just you know, I'm not. Won't be ordering it right off the bat, but I will be getting one. Cool. There you go. There you go. We got to support our community, right? If you don't support the community, the community won't exist. So we got to support the scene. So Tandy Assembly would like to thank our sponsor, TRS 8-Bit. The TRS 8-Bit newsletter is a treasure of information for anyone interested in using, maintaining, or repairing a TRS 80 computer. Each issue features useful technical articles, amazing retro advertisements, and practical articles on making repairs, maintaining, and improving your TRS-80. If you own a TRS-80, you owe it to yourself to read TRS-8-Bit, edited by Dusty Miller. Visit TRS-8-Bit at their website, www.trs-80.org.uk. Thank you to TRS-8-Bit for being a Tandy Assembly sponsor. Where did those voices come Okay, from? that was my bad because I clicked on the wrong thing. I was trying to go full screen to show off the Tandy Assembly website, and I just ran another um, uh, Tandy Assembly sponsor spot, and that's fine. We, we want to thank all the sponsors of Tandy Assembly. So here we are on the website, and it is tandyassembly.com is the website for those of you who have not been watching our show for the past six months. And it is a lovely-looking website. And as you can see here by this little carousel of imagery scrolling by us here, Tandy was responsible for a plethora of machines, right? A lot of different computers that Tandy made, and uh, pocket computers, mobile computers, the original TRS-80, TRS-80 Model 1342, 1624, 32, 44, hut, 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 right? Color computer 1, 2, and 3. Um, Tandy 1000 through 5000 line, they got into the PC compatible range. So there is no shortage of Tandy systems and Tandy Fest is a weekend-long retreat where we will all get together and pay homage to these systems. And Quick so question for John on this. Uh, it just kind of struck me here. Does that include the Tandy distributor product stuff, like the TDP 100, though that wasn't sold through Tandy? <laughs> uh, well, I would think it does. Um, I mean, it's not exactly a formal ticket punch there. I mean, if you bring it, you can show it. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's the idea is, you know, anything related to Tandy. Okay. Um, 
So presumably, if you do bring something that, like, like if you brought a TDP 100, presumably the point is to tell people about the Coco and its other <laughs> related machines, right? So yeah, because it was a Tandy distributor product, which is what TDP stood for. It just mm -hmm. was sold like through RCA stores and whatever else back in the day. So hmm. maybe yeah. I will go ahead and bring one just to show off too. So yeah. kind of cool. Yeah, so we're not we're not being, the purpose is not to be snobby. It's just to, to kind of limit the, the the focus, um, just to, to bring more people in that are actually kind of related or have a you know relationship to uh, a common uh, entity or whatever. Um, you were talking earlier. I think it was Barry was talking about maybe he'd um, you know started some sort of meet up amongst different kinds of machines and you know that, that's what it occurred to us over time is that you know inevitably people are going to die off and and you know it seems like things will get smaller although it seems like in the past couple of years if anything the communities have gotten bigger so we may have been wrong um but that was one thing we were looking for is you know how do we expand our, our audience um and and how do we do so in a way that that we actually like um you know it's one thing you bring in a bunch of guys that are mini computer specialists or whatever, and I'm sure they'd be great guys, and there'd be some interest there to talk, some common interest there, but, you know, I think when we settled on, you know, let's find other Tandy folk, it, it was, seemed like a, a good way to really expand the audience and uh, and still kind of remain true to our roots. Um, and so it's been real good. Um, uh, it's worked out real well dealing with um, Pete and Randy, you know, the trash talkers, Um and uh, and and some of the others like Ian Maverick or whatever, um, that um, you know it just seems like a good fit. You know, it's a, a good match for the community. They have a certain level of interest in our stuff. We have a certain level of interest in their stuff. We all have the same kind of you know gripes and complaints about Radio Shack from back in the day or whatever, but also the same kind of common memories about crawling through the Radio Shack computer catalog or whatever. Um, so. I think it's going to be a good mix of people, and um, like you said, I mean, I think we've got uh, you know a, a healthy room, a healthy number of rooms have been rented out uh, or reserved for the weekend, a couple of dozen or whatever, twenty-seven, I think. Um, we certainly have sold, pre-sold a lot of tickets, um, and uh, we sold out of our tables. So I think it's going to be a successful event. Um, looking forward, definitely, to spending some time with. Uh, with you guys and some new folks and and uh, enjoying all that Chilcothy has to offer. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I'm really going to be curious of, like, I, I've known a few other like local ones back back more in the day that actually did like the TRS-80 line, including the Model 1s, 3s, 4s, 12s, 16s, etc., and the Coco. I have not seen anybody try to do the Tandy 1000 line, like the IBM PC compatible, so I'm really interested what the interest and the turnout for that particular side of the Tandy thing is going to be. Yeah, and I'm too. <laughs> uh, Neil has kind of reached out that way a bit. He's got a, a display with some Tandy 1000 stuff. Um, I've reached out a little bit on the Tandy 1000 um, Yahoo group. We've gotten some response, um, not a lot, but I think there's a few people that are going to show up. We, did, we have the person that uh, you guys have seen on the exhibitor list is going to bring his Tandy 1000, 2000, 3000, 4000, 5000. <laughs> so we should have at least some amount of representation of that. But, you know, there are a lot of people who got their start um, in the PC world uh, on Tandy 1000s. Um, and, uh, you know, it's an interesting enough machine. It's not exactly a Me Too PC. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, they have their own their own you know special graphics modes, which a lot of the game writers specifically wrote code for, yeah. like Sierra, et cetera. They also had their sound chip built in. They had the DeskMate came with yeah. it. Uh, the Tandy Two Thousand actually for its time was quite advanced beyond any of the PCs. So, yeah. So, so it's, you know, like I said, if we are going to hook up with a PC crowd, at least it's kind of a quirky PC crowd <laughs> that we, we have a connection to. You know, right? Yeah, they have. They, they added some extra graphics mode, and they also added some extra sound. Uh, stuff to some of the machines, yeah. The the thing is though, they are essentially they still they uh, the core of them. They, they a lot of the software that people ran on them, etc. They did run PC software. You know, sure. to this day, we're sort of still running the same more overall hardware architecture that those machines were. So, yeah. So I mean, it's a it's a, a healthy part, uh, a healthy chunk of people that I think can contribute to our community and. Uh, keep our, our little event running <laughs> yeah and um i think it'll be good yeah um, my, my, my curiosity on it is is basically because i know quite a few people that you know upgraded to tandy 1000s and 1200s and whatever else later on but the um rabid fandom part of things i didn't see as much in that group so i don't know how dedicated you know the people would be like some of the coco and the tears 80 people are so yeah. i'm really interested just how that's going to work out i mean i'm not I don't have any expectations at this point. I'm just kind of curious. Yeah, so my impression is that there actually is kind of a, a subset of the retro PC gaming community that is kind of dedicated to that Tandy 1000 slash PC Junior um, line of machine, you know, with the, the, the graphics modes and such. Um, and it's, so it's like a, there's a little niche there, and uh, I think there's some quirky folks like us that maybe... <laughs> just came into the, commu the computer world a little bit later or whatever uh, I'm hoping some of those weirdos show up <laughs> and you know bring their copies of uh, you know Space Quest or whatever and uh, you know who knows maybe we can sell them some joystick adapters and uh, <laughs> I have a trivia question sure uh, what was the earliest PC to emulate a uh, Coco huh Jeff Favasaurs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Whatever that was. <laughs> yeah, Jeff, I, I think it was Jeff, uh, Jeff's DOS color computer emulator, which I still have a copy of. It's a fairly effective emulator. Yeah, and it ran on it. I think it required only a 286, didn't it? It didn't run that fast, but I think it would run on it. It required, yeah, and it required a fairly high-end machine to do an effective emulation at 100% speed. Well, the Coco 1 and 2 1 didn't as much. The Coco 3 1 definitely did. Yeah. So did we get it right, Ron, or are you privy to something that we're not aware of? No, just a question. <laughs> oh, okay. So, okay, it was just a question. It wasn't like you were holding yeah. on to some little pearl of, uh, of wisdom there, huh? No, because I have, you know, a Tandy 1200, and I'm wondering, I wonder if that could do it. And then I thought, well, it's only, what, 4 megahertz? Yeah, yeah no, I, think, I, think the, the, I don't think the lowest emulators required were required a 286 or higher, if I remember. Yeah, yeah. My second uh, generation computer was, you know, I went through the Coco one and three, and then I evolved into a Tandy 1000 and didn't look back. So the original Tandy 1000 was my first PC, and the thing that attracted me to it was number one, I was working at Radio Shack at the time, and. Uh, the graphics and sound it offered were better than the average PC. The IBM 
CGA graphics were only four color. IBM standard speaker music wasn't that good. So to have the three voice music, have the 16 colors, have these games like the Sierra Online games, those things were hot commodities. So um, the King's Quest series was, was, you know, bleeding edge technology with computer graphics and animation and sound for its time. A game like Thexter on the Tandy 1000 was a mind-blowing thing to see on a on a home computer, you know, so... You still uh, have your 1,000? No, no, I don't have any of my original tech anymore. All my stuff now is re... Uh, you know, re oh, Curtis, what kind of mug you got going on there, Curtis? Hold that up for I, just a I, second. I don't know, I just grabbed one out of the... <laughs> I'm a coconut. The well, there and, uh, that is a nice-looking mug. Is there any place <laughs> online where we could possibly grab a... Uh, I, I think there is, and I think they have some metal traveling cups. I'm going to be ordering right after the show because I get a chance to once I finish payroll. So uh, a little uh, shameful again, plug. We'll see <laughs> hold it, hold I it up again. I'm kind of so feeling peckishly thirsty here. So. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it's a retro swag. The, the IBM's of the day were four-color graphics and a single bit, you know, basically beep sound, and yeah, that was one, about it. Yeah, Apple II sound basically is what it was. Yeah, yeah and, you know, right. so the 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 uh, the Tandy one thousands and even the Coco compared very favorably to those machines of the day. Sure, sure. All right, well, let's look at the website. So we're looking at the homepage here. Now you see a nice little banner. So um, I, we've been reviewing this every week now, um, you know, since this website has been up. So I guess we'll go ahead and start by looking at the speakers. And, and this lineup hasn't changed too much. Rick Adams was the most recent keynote addition to the speaker lineup. So uh, Scott Adams of Adventure International fame is one of our speakers. Don French. The true story of the making of the TRS-80, and, and by listening to the trash talkers, are saying that we're going to hear things now during this presentation that he hasn't said anywhere else before. So we're going to get some new dirt on that. So that's going to be interesting. Lance Mikolas, and I'm not as familiar with Lance Mikolas, uh, so I don't know if John, if you want to chime in on that. And I don't know a lot about him either, honestly. Um, I think he worked with Adventure International and okay. did some. He made uh, a handful of games for the TRS-80. And I think something for the Coco too. You made a space. Yeah, I made Star Trek Three uh, for the Coco, which uh, is on my webpage if you want to see it. And it's still my favorite Star Trek game. Okay, excellent, excellent. We'll have to review that at some point in time. Okay, I and I know he was reviewed for the Get Lamp documentary by Jason Scott. That's mm. one that you can find on YouTube. Okay. And uh, our very own Rick Adams will be uh, giving a presentation as well on the resurrection of Bomb Threat. We've been following that story closely. We will be purchasing and owning Bomb Threat at Tandy Assembly. It's really exciting. Um, My directly involves John now, too. Yeah, yeah. John, Lin John Linville is going to basically wrap up the show. Yeah, with, actually... Uh, um, so I think Pete Satinsky is uh, actually going to speak just after me. I thought originally I was the last speaker. but oh, okay. Uh, so the lineup has changed. We'll see that in a minute here. So Peter Zatinsky, the uh, history of the TR-80 Model 2. Myself, uh, uh, Brendan Donahue giving us the latest update on the Coco VGA projects, including um, having to hack Extended Color Basic for 64-column support, right? Because you got new screen modes, you got new print at commands, and all kinds of stuff that have to be extended to there. This one's new now, too. This is a new addition. So George Phillips, the making of Tris Vid. So this is like a yeah. video player for the TR-80, similar to John's video player and yeah. uh, Zipsters, right? Some of you guys may have seen that uh, on uh, on YouTube or, or on uh, Facebook. They had the video posting with uh, it's the, you know, the one where they have the, the Model 4 showing the uh, the Doctor Who intro and they yep. swap, swap floppy disk about three times. <laughs> 
that, yeah, he's going click, 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 swap. Exactly. <laughs> so that's his. That's his his demo. Um, so he's going to talk about making that. Uh, okay. So he has replaced um, um, Randy Kendig in the speakers lineup. So. Very nice. Oh, really? So Randy's not going to speak at all? No, he. Uh, well, I think he has to leave a little early uh, on okay. Sunday or something. So okay. uh, kind of was convenient. So. Okay. Well, it's uh, all right. And then this one I thought was really interesting as soon as I heard about this. But the idea of an Android-based emulator and an app store where you can get TRS-80 games, this I am really interested in seeing. And I think this is one advantage that uh, the other TRS-80 line has over us is it's not tied into the basic ROMs. So to release a um, to release this commercially or even to release it at all there's there's no threat of some potential uh, lawsuit going on there I suppose um, so that's going to be kind of cool that I'm really looking forward to seeing so um, these are the different uh, speaking presentations that will be going on and um, of course then we have the exhibitor area and I don't know if you still have a picture of the floor plan down here I don't see it here now but yes yeah, so the exhibitor lineup is really taking shape here and the exhibitor lineup um, much like what we've had at Coco Fest is that there's a different room for the exhibitors um, and so we have Mike Rowan will be exhibiting Richard is Richard still on the call Okay. Uh, yes, I'm still okay. here. So Richard is Boyson Tech. And for those who are not familiar with Richard, well, he used to work for Tandy uh, doing assembly and repair and stuff for the plant. So Richard has got a lot of um, real-world history working on Tandy systems. And um, Richard will also, kind of similar to what uh, Mark Marlette has done in the past, if somebody needs some work done on a Coco at the show, he'll be providing the ability to do repairs and upgrades and things like that. And, and, uh, and if you want to also speak, Richard, about some of your other offerings like your SCART to HDMI cables and any other goodies you might have for us. Yeah, basically I'm going to be doing the SCART HDMI uh, cables. I'm still making some more of them. Uh, and they'll be available. I'm also going to have a f limited amount of uh, RGB to VGA uh, cable conversion. It, it's all, it, all it is is a straight-through conversion from the connector from the COCO 3, and it's going to be a um, VGA, uh, the 15-pin the connector. So if you want to connect your uh, 15 kilohertz uh, monitor directly. You don't have to have a any kind of other special cable for it. And then I'm also going to be selling the uh, 6309 processors uh, as well. And I'll also be uh, able to install them if you need to. Okay. So I know uh, both Mike Rowan and myself have gotten those next 71V uh, monitors. Uh, so we're going to want those 15 kilohertz VGA cables. Right. Yeah. I'll 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 have some of those ready. And then, I, have a question, uh, I have a question on the 15 kilohertz uh, VGA cable now, because VGA is a digital, not an analog signal. Do you are you just limited to like eight colors or something like your six? VGA basic? is actually VGA is analog. Yeah, it's an analog signal. Well, I, I thought you had. Well, maybe I'm remembering it wrong. It could be. V, so there's v, six v, bits of each HDMI, color, and I think it's, HDMI is digital. Oh, okay, maybe I'm getting too confused. And some DVI, uh, some DVI displays are digital. But VGA is definitely analog. Okay, so you right. get the full 64 colors and everything else. The only thing you wouldn't get, I'm assuming, is the uh, composite artifacting stuff. Right. Yeah. The card. Uh, the uh, uh, artifacting. Uh, it just. It's just black and white. Okay. Right. So. Yeah. The only way you get artifacting is with over the uh, NTSC uh, signal type. And it's actually a function of the way that it, it decodes that it's signal. Interpreting, yeah. 
And also the cable I'm making, that was uh, based on uh, Barry Nelson's uh, design that, you know, it's uh, available on the, the website. I don't, I don't know the exact link, but that's how I got the design. And uh, there's mm. just been a lot of interest in people wanting to, for those cables. So that's why I started to go ahead and make them. And I'll also have Thank them demonstrate. Thank you for that. Yes. <laughs> and I'll also have it demonstrate. I'm going to have it hooked through a, uh, I have an old Pioneer uh not console, but a home theater system that has the HDMI input, so then it'll also output to speakers just to demonstrate, you know, this. It, you can actually play sound uh, through it as well. Neat. And then I'll also... Right. And then I'll also have uh, my entire Coco 1 collection from the Revision C all the way to the F board uh, on display. Neat. No, I wish I could be there because the seaboard is one I would really like to see in real life. Never have. All right. It's almost like touching the heron at this point when you get to see one of those things. <laughs> Take lots of pictures, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Peter and Alex Zatinsky, that's uh, Peter's son, will be showing off Tandy Xenix, and I believe they're going to have these things networked in some capacity. We'll be showing off some of that kind of stuff. Um, uh, we all know and love cloud nine we know them from coco fest so that's mark marlette and sandy weimer so not only does cloud nine provide a lot of different products like the um the triad board for memory upgrades and some uh coco rgb to vga adapters and he will do repairs and upgrades but they typically also have a bunch of coco products for resale so you can buy old cartridges and manuals and books and mice hardware. and things like that yeah. hardware so it's a nice little flea market of new and old stuff and they're great folks so um now peter bartlett i am learning more about him just recently um about all the projects that he works on by listening to the most recent trash talk one where they're talking about the things he's done and and uh so um the thing that that also john strong um revealed for us last week too from his coming back from vcf midwest was that he's working on a cartridge you can plug into a coco to get vga out passively through the rom pack port um, with no soldering or hardware required. So that's a neat project, and that will be on display. Might not be finished, so that'll be pretty cool to see, though. Um, which, again, I know this is probably brought up. I don't know, if John, if you guys had this as a, as a host discussion at one point in time, but the idea of a project registry <laughs> might help for people to know what kind of coals are in what fires, and not that it would necessarily stop anybody, but just to know that efforts are being made and maybe you could you know, not have to reinvent a wheel that's already halfway finished or anything sure. else like that. Yeah, um, I mean, we, we have discussed that topic. Um, uh, I think we kind of came out against it in general, but uh, it, it is good to know if people are working on stuff and want to tell you about it, it's good to have that in the community. So that's sort of our job and your job and, and uh, the Facebook group's job is to provide that outlet, I guess. So, uh, so as long as people are active on things, <laughs> um, hopefully we, we'll all hear about it and know about it. Um, you know, it's, it always amazes me the capacity for people to overlook uh, what <laughs> what's been talked about. Right, right. Like like the fact that people are posting comments saying, if somebody doesn't start working on making new Cocoa hardware, it's never going to happen. Well, there's at least two projects that already exist right now. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, yeah so Randy Kindig will be showing uh, Tandy's portable computers through the years. So probably with, from the pocket computer to the Model 100 to maybe some uh, laptops. Uh, friend of the show and friend of the community, Jim Brain from Retro Innovations will be there who we all know and love. Ian Maverick is the Australian version of Ed Snyder. 
He makes a lot of stuff for TRS Radio Model 1, 2, 3, 4s and stuff, and so he'll be showing off his stuff. He's also a member of the Trash Talkers. Uh, interesting guy. Brendan, Brendan Donahue with his Coco VGA project will be there. Um, Alan Hightower with the complete line of Tandy 1000 through 5000 PCs. That's impressive. I heard you guys talking about that, saying some of these models are so rare. And which ones were they? The super rare ones? It was the 2000 and the 5000, was it? Or? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, the 2000 um, for sure. Um, so that'll be interesting to see. Um, John W. Linville, uh, retro tinker, who said it's going to be more of uh, cartridge selling at this point. Will you have maybe the um, the ROM pack demo with the uh, Game Master sound playing and things like that too? Um, that seems like a good idea. <laughs> let people hear. Let people hear what they need to be developing for. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Um, and I know John Strong mentioned last week that his next two projects will will feature that Game Master sound. So uh, the Dr. Coco, which is a Dr. Mario clone, and his Fix-It Felix Handy Andy um, Wreck-It Ralph clone will feature that too. So we're looking forward to some commercial games using that music. And Simon Jonasson, who's with us too, has made a player for it. And we've heard some of Simon's uh, madness come through that sound chip too, which is kind of cool. Um, Evan Wright will be, uh, we saw Evan Wright at Coco Fest this past year too. He's got a, a, a tool set where you can create a text adventure and, and then output it to run on a Z80 or a Coco and, and run a full compiled, um, text adventure game that you can create with a tool. It's a very cool project. Um, Evan Wright also produced Flood It Game, which John Linville will have for sale in cartridge format. Flood It Game is a pretty cool game. Um, Scott Adams from Adventure International will be there, so that'll be interesting to see and hear what he has to say. My uh, co-pilot, uh, Carpool, and roommate Michael Brandt will be here as well. So Mike's miscellany, uh, and I don't know if I pronounced that right, miscellany or m whatever. Uh, Mike has got an interesting retro collection, so Mike has got a lot of stuff. Coco, Tandy 1000s, and, and you name it. So it'll be interesting to see what he procures and, and places upon his table. Um, and Rick, and, and Mike, by the way, Mike is the guy who, who um, John Linville called Qui-Gon Jinn when he was at my house that day when we had a little Coco Fest wrap-up and he had the ponytail and the beard and everything. <laughs> so Mike's a good guy. I think he's cut his hair now, so his hair is a little bit shorter. Um, Rick Adams will be there. You got to know him. You got to love him. Um, Rick Adams with his bomb threat and uh, also author of Temple of Rom and Shanghai and other things for the Coco. Um, I, I, I can't wish enough good things to happen to somebody like you, you want for Rick Adams. You know, he's, this, he's a great guy. He's done a lot. And you, you, you want, you, you know, I really want Bomb Threat to be a good success for him. And I'm glad it's on a cartridge. Now, now, you, now you've done it. You said Bomb Threat multiple times. So now the, <laughs> the security is now listening. Yes, okay. yes. <laughs> well, I remember we've got Bomb Squad. Bomb Squad, to Bomb Squad, Bomb Threat. You know, it's... Uh, uh, somebody's got to make a game called Al Qaeda and another one called ISIS, and we'll have all the uh, bases covered. <laughs> oh my gosh! Now you really done. fly around the world promoting them, right? <laughs> <laughs> What's in your suitcase? Oh, just a whole bunch of bomb threats. <laughs> yeah. I, I think my next text adventures game game some... is going to be something like North Korea um, <laughs> nuclear weapons research or something. Oh boy! Yeah. Now YouTube's going to block this one. <laughs> <laughs> so. Brett Gordon will be showing off Fuzzix, a Unix-like operating system for the Coco. Uh, oh, he, John's wearing his Fusix shirt there. Fusix, Fuzix, Fuzix. Um, 
George Phillips showing off Tris Vid. Looking for that. David Ladd just chimed in there, everybody. Uh, uh, Ficecap, Paul Fiscarelli will be here, too. Uh, and then Neil Blanchard. Uh, well, Neil, Neil has mentioned he's going to show off a Tandy 1000 showing what he calls TGA, which is a Tandy 16-color graphics and three-voice music, and then another one with the VGA and Sound Blaster compatible sound. So kind of see both ends of the spectrum, some of the early Tandy graphics and sounds and the more PC-oriented um, ones. Uh, and then where, where is our schedule? So you mentioned that a few things have changed in the lineup. So here we go. Yes, yeah, so John Linville originally was closing out the show. Now uh, things have moved around. So I think Saturday hasn't changed too much? Probably not. Okay. <laughs> so Saturday, our first speaker is Don French. Then we go to Rick Adams. Brendan Donahue, Lance Miklas. Now, what, these things are paced out. I'll tell you what, the one thing that I felt was the pacing for Coco Fest, it almost felt like it was back to back to back to back, you know, and you, you kind of couldn't breathe in between things and you, you kind of missed things. So the pacing here seems to be a little bit better, I think. Um, I'm not sure how much time between presentations, but it'd be nice to decompress and go back to the exhibit floor for a few minutes and come back uh, to see something else. Uh, you always feel like you're missing one half of the show sometimes. Yeah, that's always a, you know, it's a little unsolvable in some ways, you know, uh, but um, at least I haven't figured out how to solve it. Um, but, uh, you know, you, you have a, uh, Lisa Kogafast had a lot of people wanted to speak. In this case, we had um, not quite as many people asking to speak, uh, but eventually we did get to a point where we we're about to overflow. Yeah, yeah. So, um, some people will probably think it's too much, <laughs> but, but and like you say, you know, you got some people who are interested in the speaking and some people who don't really care. Um, so there'll always be that, 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 um, that, uh, tension. I don't know. I hope you like the show. Oh, no, no <laughs> doubt. No doubt. That goes I for listening too, because some people are only interested in specific topics. They're not going to attend every single one anyway. So, right, right. Well, it's a little better than what it was years ago. Even at the first Cocoa Fest, we had multiple seminars going at the same time. Yeah, Rainbow because Fest was terrible for that. Right, you you had to pick and choose the Rainbow. Yeah, Fest. pick one of the which one of the ten seminars at eleven o'clock you want to attend. <laughs> Literally, that's what it was. Right, right. So the good thing is, is I do plan to have um, the uh, the laptop set up with with cameras and microphones, so we'll be streaming the whole thing. So. You can't, even if you're there, you might not be able to make every single presentation, but you'll be able to replay them later. Um, and, and for those of you who also were not aware, uh, these will be streamed through the Tandy Assembly YouTube channel. Tandy Assembly has a YouTube channel. They've been promoting that this weekend. Um, there's a link to that channel in the description to this video right now. So if you're watching this live stream on my channel, um, you will see a link to not only the Tandy Assembly channel's YouTube page in general, but the link to the live stream that's already open right now. You can watch the clock countdown uh, the minutes till we get to when the live stream begins there so uh, we'll be we'll be broadcasting through the tandy assembly youtube channel for all of those events and i believe many of us too will also be doing our own little thing with cameras and phones and things to record more content i know i'm going to try to get as much footage from the exhibitor area too that we can air at a later time and um, you know just looking at all the exhibits and perhaps interviewing the people with exhibits and just interviewing the people who are coming to Tandy Assembly to get their, you know, get their feedback on the event, things like that. So, I, I would suspect a lot of content will come from this that we can re-air later for future episodes and things like that, which would be good. 
Um, Saturday is definitely a full day. So we've got speakers starting at 9.30 in the morning, going all the way up until about 4 o'clock, which is the no minimum bid auction. And I know you're, it's hard to tell what's going to show up there the day of show, but as far as what you guys think you have now, do you think it's a pretty good turnout uh, for volume of, of material, I guess? I mean, I think we've got enough stuff to, to be uh, to be worth attending. Yeah. Uh, Neil's definitely collected together some things. Uh, I've got a couple of things I want to put in. Um, you know, it, it kind of depends on what's going to show up. We have a few people who sort of pledge to bring a few things. I don't know. I think it'll be fun. We'll, we'll just have to see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it should be. Um, I'm definitely. You know, I have. I'm not in that mode yet. Once we're done with this episode of, of of this show today, now I start focusing on next weekend. So then I start packing and preparing. And what am I going to bring for my table? What am I going to bring for the auction? So uh, I don't know what I'll have, but I'll definitely bring in something. And you know, every little bit helps. So, um, so the auction is at 4 p.m. Uh, and that's a that's a fun event. So if you've seen the ones that happen at uh, Coco Fest, those no minimum bid auctions are uh, a great source of entertainment. So um, later on, and then here at least we have a break. So when the and we don't know how long the auction is going to go, but I don't suspect it'll be three hours. So when the auction is done at 7 p.m., we're doing um, what I just like to, like to call Tandy Talk. So similar to what we're doing here with a bunch of people talking. But we're going to be talking about Tandy Assembly. So hopefully um, the various podcast hosts will join us and, and the people who are at the event will join us. And it should be an interesting, fun thing where we're just all going to talk about, you know, Tandy Assembly and what's going on. What do we like about the show? Uh, the uh, Jeopardy show was fun at Coco Fest, so another quiz show. <laughs> um, the subject matter, I would suspect, will be a little bit more broad spectrum. So there's going to be questions not just about the cocoa and what's the model number of the VDG chip. I'm sure there's going to be questions about, uh, you know, all kinds of Tandy products. And so I'm definitely not going to do well in this one. Um, and and then uh, 9 p.m. to whenever social time. So that kind of wraps up our Saturday. And then Sunday we have Scott Adams, Tris Vid presentation by George Phillips, John Linville himself, and then Peter Satinsky will close out the show. So that's looking like a... Um, uh, a pretty good event. Uh, I, I, again, I, ca I can't see this not being a huge success. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be good. Um, we've got, um, like I said, the indications are we should have at least a, a reasonable crowd. Um, and, uh, you know, it's not just going to be the five of us or whatever sitting around. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, which might not be so bad. In right, right, honestly. Uh, you know, that was kind of part of the equation to begin with. It's like, well, if we throw the party and only we come, can we have fun? <laughs> um, but uh, it's expanded beyond that. I think it's going to be good. Um, I think we're going to, you know, be comparable to a Cocoa Fest, um, which, uh, you know, is uh, a pretty good bar to beat on your first time out, I think. Sure, sure. So, um, so we just want to, you know, like I said, get together, have fun, and uh, maybe experience... Um, a different style, a different set of retro computers to some degree, but uh, it's really the same folks with a, a different set of machines. <laughs> so, right, right. Same passion. Yep. And if we're same lunacy, as some people would say. Right, right, right. So if we're using that geek analogy, we're still we're we're still geeks and we're still geeking out. We just might be a slightly different name on the box we're geeking over, you know. So uh, good stuff. Good stuff. And I mean, I think it's awesome that you guys were able to pull this together. I th I think it really shows uh, 
um, that you're kind of your power and influence you have because you, you not only came up with the idea, but you promoted the idea and you've, you've made this a reality. Um, you've got some experience. You've been closely related to Coco Fest. Uh, you're probably familiar to a lot of the logistics and challenges of, of doing that. So it wasn't like you, I don't think you came into this completely blind, but the fact that you guys are able to launch an event is, is impressive. You know? Yeah, well, like I said, we we participated some in some of the Cocoa Fest planning over the past few years, and uh, I think that helped at least prepare us for, you know, some some of the weird uh, things that you might encounter in planning an event. Um, but, uh, um, you know, it's, it's um, we just saw a need. We kind of, we always uh, didn't make the Cocoa Fest quite enough to get us through the whole year. <laughs> and so... That's kind of where all of this has come from, you know, the blogging and the, the podcasting and, and now the, the live event. Um, it's all just to help uh, keep the community going and keep us strong, bring in some new blood. I think it's going to be good. So. Very, very cool. Uh, in fact, you can also mention uh, on the first page, the, the front page or whatever, the tandyassembly.com, there is now a link to the live stream in case you lose it or can't find it or whatever. It is right on there on the front page. Um, okay, let's see. If, okay, there it is, live stream. Check out the YouTube live stream page. Matter of fact, when I click on that right now, what we should see is we're actually seeing ourselves. So, <laughs> yeah, it works. Modern technology. So there it is. So on Tandy Assembly, um, we have a live stream. We have a link to the live stream. So if you go to tandyassembly.com, that'll make it real easy for you. So that's that's what we need. Got to make it easy for the masses here. So yeah, Curtis was putting a message in the chat saying that the Tandy 2000 had a much higher resolution, um, which it, it, it agrees. And so if everybody's also not familiar. Um, and that w- I don't know if this was brought up. Was the Tandy 2000 what they had for auction at Cocoa Fest? That's where they had a couple of those ones there, too? Yep. Yes. Yeah. So being as uh, I worked for Radio Shack, uh, I am privy to the the fact that um, the Model 2000 is what we used to run what we back then called the SOS, the store operating system. And all of the yellow receipts that we ran from our books when we hand wrote all the orders. And yeah, we just ask everybody for their name and phone number and address, even though you saw the same person, you know, all the time. Battery of the month uh, card. That but, kind yeah. Of thing. So all those receipts were hand keyed into uh, software running on the Tandy 2000 by the store manager that then got you know mowed them out to HQ so we the ten, we had a Tandy 2000 set up and it had a hard drive off to the side or in the case I don't remember but I remember it having a very crisp display of text like Curtis was saying like the um, the 640 by 400 by 16 color it was just a very sharp vivid display um, looked like a neat machine but it was we're not a ton of games running on it though <laughs> <laughs> But it was also probably one of the least compatible with MS-DOS. It required a special MS-DOS to do some of the stuff. It wasn't as compatible as the 1000 series. Oh, yeah, the BIOS wasn't PC compatible at all. Hmm, okay. I, I had a friend who had one. He lent it to me for a couple of months, and it's like, wow, this is, works, but hmm. Yeah, really good hardware, but not much software available, unfortunately. Yeah. <coughs> Rick Adams, welcome back to the show. How are you, Rick? Oh, now we're getting a little bit of squelch coming from you there you might need to adjust your antenna just a little bit on that cb sir (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, yeah, I'm having network problems at the moment. Ah, there you go. Coming in. What's new? Ah, Steve Bjork just chimed in the live chat. He says, I should know about the graphics since I did a version of a Coco game for the Dandy 2000. Oh, that's pretty cool. Which one was that? Which game? Yeah. I'm, I'm not familiar with the 2000 series games that much, yeah. so I don't know which one that would be. The GB? Gonabuana. I didn't know there was a Gonabuana for the 2000. Interesting. I don't know if that's, if that's what that is initials mean. Very cool. Well, Rick, we already mentioned the fact that you're not only speaking at uh, Tandy Assembly and our exhibit at Tandy Assembly, but you also have bomb threat cartridges available. So we've definitely done our uh, attempt to, to market you. <laughs> okay. Well, Always appreciated. <laughs> I'm looking forward to getting my hands on a shiny bomb threat cartridge for sure. All right. That will uh, happen. Oh, David Ladd. David Ladd, um, you know, the, the world-famous David Ladd, as heard on the Coco Crew podcast, uh, is here <sighs> with us. <laughs> David, anything new in the world of floppies and, and sector displacement or anything like that? Can you, can you update us? <laughs> not, not really. I'm I've just been in the process of still, you know, reloading stuff on my computer and things, so. Okay. I was still hearing you hope more about the magnetic flux of the little particles on the disc, but okay. Right, right, right. So I have a question. So Ron, is there is there something you want to show off for us today, Ron, in Ron's garage? Will we be able to? Yeah, I got two things. Okay, and then uh, Grant, do you have a, uh, a newbie question of the week for us this week as well? Yes, I do. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick commercial. And who wants to go first after the break, Grant or Ron? I will. You guys, Ron will. Okay. All right. So we're going to run another Tandy Assembly um, sponsor promotion thing here and take a quick commercial break, and then we'll come back with Grant Leedy's newbie question of the week. Emily would like to thank our sponsor, Boise Pete. Boise is co-author of Coco, the colorful history of Tandy's underdog computer, available from Amazon.com. This book is the go-to source for information about the history of the Tandy color computer. In addition to being a color computer historian, Boise has been a longtime supporter and developer of OS9 and Nitrous 9 operating systems. He is also a software developer for Cloud9. Thank you to Boise Pete for being a Tandy Assembly sponsor. Between 1977 and 1994, Tandy and Radio Shack produced a wide array of prolific personal and business computers. Chances are you've used one. And now there's a new event designed to celebrate all of these computers in one place. Introducing Tandy Assembly. Come see your favorite computers, or maybe some that you missed. October 7th and 8th. Ohio's first capital city, Chillicothe. See presentations by TRS-80 creator Don French. Creator of Dog Star Adventure, Lance Miklas. And Scott Adams of Adventure International. For details, visit our webpage at www.tandyassembly.com. 
some assembly is required. All right, everybody, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. This is a professional show, a very well-produced show, so we've got things like infographics and theme songs here. And what you're looking at right now is the introduction to a segment that we call Newbie Talk with Grant Leedy, featuring your newbie question of the week. And on that note, take it away, Grant Leedy. Thank you, Steve. So I have a, uh, a, a basic question today. If... Uh, I would like to make a a game for the Coco. What is the best um, language to use? Basic, OS nine, assembly language, or machine language? Which one and do why? you know? <laughs> John Linville says, "Which one do you know?" <laughs> <laughs> I also think it depends on the kind of game you want to make. I mean, you can make an adventure game a lot easier in Basic, and you know, speed isn't that critical. You're not trying to move a ton of your memory or graphics around, so I mean, that works perfectly fine. Um, if you want to write a really large text adventure game, then OS 9 is nice, because you can access hard drive images, etc. Uh, if you want to do arcade games, there's some limited arcade games you could probably do in BASIC, if, if, if they're designed right within the limitations of the speed that BASIC has, but basically you're looking at assembler or machine language at that point, and I would consider assembly language and machine language to be the same core, and nobody's going to program it in raw machine language they'll use an assembler <laughs> steve bjork just chimed in he says assembly only <laughs> <laughs> and nick marenta says i have an os9 question <laughs> oh. ease so, of use there you go um i i don't know that there is a single answer to that because i, I think curtis touched on that too so like right right now the first game i'm gonna write is gonna be in basic because that's the um that's the only language that i know currently uh, and for those hoping... who don't think you can write good games in basic i would just point to jim gary yeah 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 jim oh. gary was mentioned i don't know how many dozens of times this month on the coco crew podcast right so he's about cranking... stakes, i think <laughs> yeah well he... if you have a puzzle or a strategy type game uh you don't necessarily need to use assembler if you've got, you know, your Twitch-type game, then Assembler is the only way to go. And also... Go ahead, John. Yeah, okay. Just trying to make... Not to step on each other. Uh, yeah, you could do some games in basic, but uh, even some of the puzzle games, as simple as Tetris, I could run Tetris in basic, but your response time and stuff to be able to make it smooth and really enjoyable it, it, it takes assembly to be fast enough on the, the machine uh so yes you can do basic for certain things uh assembly is going to be better for most cases and uh you know 99 percent of the time uh because you do have some advantages even in adventure games and stuff with doing assembly uh the speed and this extra things you could add in that you probably wouldn't want to do with basic so uh yeah, it, depends have, it has to be within your design limitations of what you're trying to achieve. Like, if you're trying to do a, like a 60 frame per second real-time game of any sort, then you're pretty well locked into assembly. Right. You know, it's just, it's there. You know, I do have one game I do in basic, but it's just using flat switching in most Where cases for the animation. 
Okay, somebody's trying to call and it's not coming through. And I'm also getting what sounds like a stinking um, Google Hangout sound. I'm sorry about that. I got some weird sounds coming through my computer right now that I can't control. Yeah, anybody who's trying to call in, please call Steve directly. Don't call the Coco Talk. Or um, a previous group. Yeah, it just kind of doesn't yeah. work out that way. Another type of game programming could be a hybrid where you, you know, things that are too slow to be done in basic, you then have machine language routines to do. Um, yeah. you know, stuff that Simon Jonathan's working on, like the sound routines, theoretically, those being on interrupt, they could be loaded somewhere and be running in the background, and you just, you know, load sets of data and just you know, flip, flip data sets so that it plays a different tune while you're doing your stuff in basic. Yeah, and Simon actually did do that. Uh, Bruce Moore was going to experiment with that with his Force to Doom. It wasn't. It slowed down Basic a little bit too much for what he wanted, but he had it working basically. So, and there's also sorry, there's also different versions of Basic too. Like Basic Nine is definitely faster than Disk Extended Basic, not to the point where it's assembly or anything, but you can definitely do something a bit more arcadey there than you could otherwise. And what's the best book to uh, learn assembly language and machine language on? Three. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it depends, I guess. Um, I, I used more than one when I was learning. Uh, I used William Barton Jr.'s, yeah, which is the one that Mark's holding up right now. I also nice. used Don and Kurt Inman's because that actually was a better explanation of graphics and sound to me than Barton did. Lance Leventhal's book is as good as a Bible type thing to hold in the background. There's also the X, uh, 6809 Cookbook. There's a Rodney Zach's book. There's, there's multiple ones available. So, uh, depending on yeah, your learning. Most of them are in the archive. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's one single book. I don't think there's one single answer. So there's lots of different tools, right? So there's Basic 09. We had Bruce um, Wayne Campbell. We had Wayne Campbell show us some Basic 09 stuff recently. And Basic 09 uh, works, you know, primarily like a normal basic language does, but does run significantly faster. It's kind of a pre-compiled version of Basic. So... That is an option to get more speed than you could with disk extended color basic. Um, there's we have C as a language for the Coco. If you know yep. that language, um, I, I just heard Pascal. There's a bunch. Just heard about the Pascal one on the, on the podcast. Um, so yeah, so there's different languages, and I think there's I don't think there's a right answer. I think the obvious answer is if it's written in an assembly or closer to metal, it's going to perform faster. But the the level of complexity to get to that point and Developing that code is, you know, up to your skill set. I'd be interested in from some of the other assembly language programmers here too. Um, I'm the Barden book, and, and all the other ones we mentioned are good, especially for the Coco one and two. But the Coco three, there's a whole bunch of new graphics modes and interrupts and stuff to use. What have you guys used as your you know, learning for that? Well, we didn't learn Coco three. We learned. The Coco back in the day, so we knew Assembler from the Coco one and two. Uh, when the Coco three came out, we basically uh, looked at uh, the changes in the memory map and um, just went on from there. I don't really have any Coco and all the gimme gimme tricks and stuff like that. Yeah. Like, was that all just by trial and error, or where did where did you guys look this up? Oh, well, the Tandy um, technical um, the repair manual. The one they they sold that was pretty well. As soon as the Color Computer Three came out, I ordered it straight away from uh, from Tandy and had the memory map right from the start. And just basically, it, it, essentially, you learn six eight zero nine assembly language, 
um, and that lets you use a Coco one, two, three, whatever. Then you have to have the memory maps. The memory maps are basically like the roadmap, and that's what you you play with. That's what you use. So, yeah, because I yeah. I know some people want to like if they start into the retro computing hobby now and never had any of these before, and they want to learn semi language. They want to jump right into the Coco three stuff. They want to deal with Coco one and two. You know, limited graphics, limited colors. They want to jump straight to the Coco three. And I'm trying to think, other than the Lawrence Teppel books, where he did the original Coco one and two book, and then he had an addendum book, which is just strictly Coco three editionals. And that made a good companion set that you could do the super extended unravel basic by Spectral is another one that gives you a, a bit of a hint. But other than that, I can't think of anything that's Coco three specific for a good jumping in point. No, it is. It is a bit. If you're a first time programmer, it is a bit of a jump, though. I mean, I don't recommend it. Um, yeah, I mean, stuff like the MMU gets complicated. And well, that, well, there's a lot, of, a lot more concepts to understand than uh, the basic uh, Coco 1 and 2 VDG screen. It was a lot more linear and, and, and simpler to play with. And for a beginner, that's really where you should start. Jumping straight into um, high-res bitmap um, modes and MMUs and all that interrupts and all that, that's, um, that's further on down the track. And, you know, I've had... I've had uh, the last 30 years I've been it's taken me to get to the, to this point so it's not something you do in uh, a couple of months. So. Okay. I was just was wondering because I know a lot of people have asked me and they and they want to jump straight in the code 3 because they just you know there's so much more capability there and I'm kind of the same as you one there wasn't any really good reference books to use that as a starting point. All the good reference books for when you're starting an assembler, like the Barden book and the Don and Kurtman book, are all basically Coco One and Two stuff, with the one exception being Lawrence Steppold's. But his is a little bit more advanced uh, technique-wise, so it's it's not that easy to start with. I and think Sockmasters, Sockmasters um, Gime reference or Gimme reference, which is available online, is pretty good. It will give you all the bits. It will tell you what's what on the Gime, the Gimme. But, yeah. but that's that's another memory map. That doesn't really teach um, assembly language at all. It no. tells you what all the no, it's, registers. A it's a reference. Yeah, that's yeah, right. It tells, that's you, it tells you what bit does what. Yeah, but, but you you yeah. like like you say, Nick. You truly need to know sixty-eight and nine before you start pilfering with this kind of. Well, I I agree. I I would say you know that uh, for somebody who's just starting out learning assembly. I would recommend that they do one of two things: either write USR routines for you know disk disk uh, extended basic, and so have a lot of their program in basic, and then write little routines in machine code that they hook to, and practice using that. You know, and, and this is avoiding you know, so you avoid touching the low-level hardware. And the other way to do it is actually, and I know you know this kind of caused a groan from Nick Morantes over there. But to write for OS nine, because then you don't have to deal with the wow. hard. You're you're dealing with OS calls, which are much simpler to deal with, and makes it easier for a beginner to write a simple program. Yeah, you know? I actually have to agree with that too. I mean, you're not going to be writing like a high end arcade game in OS nine anyway. But just to learn assembler, if it'll teach you how to use the basic registers and stuff like that. But you don't have to worry about how do I print to a screen right off the bat. You can just say I'm going to point to a string, and I just call the I string or uh, a write command or uh, system call, and it'll do the writing for you. You don't have to worry about it. So you can kind of learn at a slower pace. 
just to learn how the registers work and you know how you store memory and all that kind of stuff. But you don't have to worry about all the I.O. and the graphics and, and all that kind of stuff. It'll be a more of a slower pace to get into it. So you you get a feeling of accomplishment, I think, a lot more than you know. It takes you three days to figure out to clear the screen. Yeah, yeah. Stevie, you need to archive this show for for our, for uh, for eternity because uh, we just had Nick Morantes recommend OS nine. Uh, <laughs> ease of use. Well, you know, the thing that's coming to my mind right now is I completely forgot that Ron said he wanted to go first. <laughs> <laughs> we were supposed to be doing Ron's Garage right now. Sorry about that, Ron. It's a great question. And uh, Steve Bjork has joined us, too. Steve, are you there? Hey, yep, I'm here. Okay. Uh, the other thing that you guys haven't covered is to look at other people's source code or disassembled code for other programs. See how they've done it. Use their um, skills to build upon your own skills. Yep, I have to agree with that, too. Yes, that's why you know, Unravel was just a great thing for us as programmers and, and Rainbow Grid and disassemblies. And, and, uh, and, Mr. and Steve, I would always closely follow your articles that you would have published or your seminars at the Rainbow Fest. I would always make sure that I, I'd get there. You know, some of the stuff I didn't understand and some of the fact that, oh, yeah, okay, now that's what he was talking about <laughs> you know, years later. But it was graciously appreciate uh, the contributions you did to the community. Uh, it helped. Yeah, I, I still remember doing some of those Coco Talks. One of the things that I was very big on was basically doing object-oriented programming and assembly. And a lot of people were just kind of like, I'd get done with the thing, and I have a room full of faces just staring at me like, huh, what? But, you know, object-oriented coding is now standard. And it's uh, you know very useful depending on the level of the complexity of your games, and you know how many things you have going on to, to do it in that in that way. You know, treat it as an object uh, within your assembly language code. So, hey, thought yeah. leader. <laughs> now, Steve, I've got speaking of this whole thing. I kind of think I mentioned it briefly on the Coco forums on the uh, Facebook, but I was really thinking that what would be good is to have some people that are learning assembly language now put together questions and then have a few of us that have a good experience with assembly sit down and answer the questions. Yeah, I think uh, it would go a long ways into getting this information out, but also it creates the correct criteria. And I see a big thumbs up over there in the corner. Yeah, yeah. And Steve, I will mention now, and I really wasn't going to make it public, is I'm working on a series of introductory, very low-level assembly language starting points for people. And so I have planned out two lessons. I hope to make them very, very short, bite-sized, and start out with just learning one of the environments to work with that be commonly available. And just kind of step by step, and then you know, make it available as a platform now that you can ask questions after they've seen a little bit. So, some of that's being worked on. I don't know how fast I'll get it done, but again, with the same kind of ideas of you know getting some ideas out there, you know, in a forum, and then people can start to to ask questions. 
in all my years when people have come to me and asked me about assembly language and stuff like that and can you write a book or do these other things it's kind of like my biggest problem is I know the subject so well I don't know how to teach it to somebody that doesn't know the subject. That's the reason why I'm suggesting if we have somebody putting together the questions, mm-hmm. right. hey, I can come up with the answers. Right. But I can't come up with the questions on stuff that I learned 40 or 50 years ago. Exactly. I, I totally hear you, Steve. I totally hear you. But but, but for me, for me, I, I, I learned assembly from, from literally nothing on the 6502, on the C64 back in the day. And, and I tend to take my time to, to teach other people 6809, the intricacies of 6809, um, just because I want other people to, to move it forward. I mean, I can, I can program Wicked 6809, but I can also sync to any level necessary for anyone to learn something. It's a good skill. You definitely have a skill I've never been yeah. able to accomplish. Right, right. And I like saying it. It is definitely, you know, a skill level to be able to uh, think at that level, lower level, and that's one of the, the issues that I'm trying to deal with, with trying to put together some lesson plans. I, mean, I, can, I can look at a piece of code and say, oh, oh my God, oh my God, what are you doing? You know, why, why, why are you doing that? But, but I don't think like that. I'm thinking, all right, you, all right, you're not on my level, so, so I, better just, I better just regress and, okay, we can do that and we can do that and we can do that and we change it this way. And all of a sudden, someone gets the concept of what and and or and XOR and everything else is, you know. And, and for them to be able to learn that and then produce something for themselves is paramount. Yeah, whether it's using the most optimized possible techniques in 609 is not what you're trying to strive for. You're trying to just get to understand the concepts and to be able to accomplish something that they're trying to accomplish. Exactly. And, and yeah, Steve, I, I, I have the exact same problem. I tried to, I usually try to over-explain things and I get a bit too technical and then, you know, I've just lost them and you get this glazed look on their eyes and that's the end of that. <laughs> it's like, duh, duh, I got my brain. <laughs> and that, that's very, you know, definite valid things on, on on teaching and which where I have a little advantage is I've, I could have had a little bit of formal training in teaching and I've done some teaching uh, you know with people of a large level, different levels of skill sets which was the reason I was working on trying to produce a little series as a starting point for people to learn and I, I know there's going to become questions that's going to be advanced and technology you know what people I ask, and uh, so it, it is getting that time where it's something we need in our community. Uh, I think we needed it for a long time, but I think it's going to it's going to work to happen with people like uh, Steve, like you and Simon, and uh, several others in the community very willing to reach out and help people with mm-hmm. questions. And hopefully, uh, I will be able to get. A uh, few more lessons plans done, so I can have a continuity in this, and kind of start out with a you know introductory, very basic idea, because I'm I'm still working on trying to have, uh, come up with a method to help people visualize you know, the difference in programming assembly, and you know, you're thinking in registers and, and memory locations instead of just you know variables and high level things, and because that's kind of that mindset you have to be able to get into. Uh, before getting and doing things. 
Yeah. Now, I was going to ask, does anybody know if the complete Dennis Bathory kits, he did that learning the 6809 tape-based thing, which also had example programs and stuff, where it was a lot of voice recording stuff. I know yeah. somebody was digitizing all that, and they were going to put it on the archive. Has that been done yet? I haven't had a chance to check. That might be a good starting point for others, too. A, di oh, a different way to learn rather than just reading, where you're actually listening to Dennis explain mm -hmm. things. Actually, he has them as MP3s on his own website. Okay, so they are digitized and up and ready to go? Yeah, I mean, if you want to download them, yeah. Well, my plan of action was actually to combine that in a, in a very short segment, talk, visual, you know, give you all that whole kind of learning experience in, in one point. So you can see it, you can have some sample code, you can see a result. And uh, so they kind of combined all of that, you know. And, and, and what, what he did years ago was a great, great thing. Right. So, Grant, did we muddy the water? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's very muddy. But I did learn one thing, though. It's like OS 9 is definitely not the place to uh, go to make a game. Oh, yeah, like it anything else, it depends on the game. It depends on the game. Just like using BASIC versus assembly, it depends on the game. You have some games you can do perfectly well in BASIC. It, it all really depends on how much resources you're trying to use on the computer, how much uh, CPU time is being used on graphics and like that. If it's really simple stuff, yeah, OS 9 is fine for it. I mean, I've managed to do an OS 9 bouncing ball demo that people immediately then poured it to Disk Extended Basic, which I couldn't understand why. But uh, you can do some pretty good graphics in there, but OS 9 still will get in your way. You know, for, for, if you need the bare metal of the machine, I, I for critical timing stuff where you need you know the the full speed of the machine, I I quite agree. OS nine will, you know, by definition of what it does, it will get in your way and, and slow things down. Um, you can of course write something that will launch under OS nine and then take the machine over. Um, you know, there is somewhat of a point for that because you know you might be able to just want to run the the game or whatever from that environment which is convenient, but generally speaking, if you're going to write something that is high performance that needs the full you know, performance of the machine, OS 9 is probably not the platform you want to use. If you want to write something that you want to be able to run while switching between you know, doing that and then you know, maybe, okay, you know, go to another screen, do something, come back, and you know, then uh, a turn-based game is a, a, an example of something that you might be you know, like Rogue or Sub Simulator. Um, you know, then, then OS 9 is a, a perfect platform for that, and you can have the machine be available to do something else while you're playing the game if you want. So, yeah, it depends a lot on the game. Mm -hmm. But we all agree that. I'm sorry. It also depends because OS 9, the, the libraries or whatever uh, are, that are there, don't really utilize. All the functions available in the Gimme chip, for that matter. I mean, the Gimme chip has various uh, video modes. It has uh, uh, other fancy things, other techniques that uh, you can use. But I mean, you are restricted to what has yeah, been supported created. by the API calls. Yeah. Otherwise, you have to write your own code and uh, you know bypass all that. And then you have to question, well. What's the advantage of doing it, you know, under OS 9? You might as well just start learning assembly right from the start since you are trying to take full control 
of all the abilities of the gimme chip. Is that just like basic? Like basic doesn't support all the gimme modes. It doesn't support horizontal scrolling. Doesn't no. support 200 to 225 line unless you patch it. Well, I mean, yeah. same same thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, yeah. I, I, yeah. So I mean, there's really no difference there. Um, and assembly language program really has, as per se, strictly speaking, nothing to do with a gimme chip. The gimme chip is an I/O device. You know, when you're talking about programming an assembly language, you're talking about talking to the CPU, which, you know, really 6809 assembly language runs on a color computer and it runs on a bunch of other machines, too. You know, um, you know, it's, you know, it, you know, when you're talking about a gimme, you're talking about a particular hardware I.O. device. That's like talking about programming for the RS-232 pack, you know. And, and that goes back. That goes back to my original statement, whereby that's why there isn't any um, books uh, that I can recommend that specifically are teaching assembly language on a Coco three because there is no need. You just have to learn six eight oh nine assembly language, uh, and then then you basically work on the memory map, and that's the part that's unique to the Coco three, knowing the ins and outs of the gimme chip. The 6809 assembly code is just the language you use to talk to it all. Once you learn that, whether it's on a Coco 1, Coco 2, whatever, that's the same on Coco 3. It's just that now you have a new memory map, new I.O. capabilities. Um, to, to write your code for, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why I said you have to learn hardware, too. So mm -hmm. yeah. it's not just walking in there and learning a language, but it's learning how all this all pieces together. That's right. Agreed. Yep. There you go. So which one are you going to do, Grant? <laughs> <laughs> I think I want to stick with basic. <laughs> Ease of use. <laughs> I use basic a lot. I, I think basic is, uh, is, is very useful still. Um, whenever I design a game, I... I usually uh, all the tools I may use, whether it's uh, you know for, for designing the sprites or doing the sound, I just tap them out in uh, RS DOS um, RS Basic. You know, I don't I don't need speed at that point. I just need the tool to do the job, and Basic is quick to put together, slap together, and away you go. The end result from what's created with those tools will be the assembly language program. Yeah, because at that point, what you're trying to do is RAD, Rapid Application Development. You're trying to get the program yeah. done fast, not the program running fast. That's right, yeah. yeah. So you're saying you actually code some of your stuff in BASIC first and then and then yeah. move it to machine code? No, 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 no. The actual code for the game is done in machine language, but any tools I need for creating, say, a, a, a map for, for a game, like Popstar Pilot had... Uh, I had to create an editor so I can actually design the level maps, all the all the terrain, all, all the objects that, that the play the game uh, the player will see when he's playing the game. Well, I do that in Basic, and I, I edit it all together in a Basic program. That Basic program will then create a map or data anyway that I then put straight into the the actual game itself. Ah, uh, I see. Okay. Yeah, yeah develop, not, you make your development tools in basic because it, yeah. you can do it quickly, like and programming them to get them up and running. Yeah. yeah, you don't need speed you don't as much. Need there. the speed. Yeah, I, uh, I, I still say that yeah, probably the best environment to learn strictly machine code for the reasons that were laid out earlier. 
is if you're learning machine code for the first time, you know, OS 9 is a very good environment to do that because you don't have to worry about access. You can just learn the machine code and then worry about later moving over and, and, and accessing the hardware directly. I think yeah. for a lot of beginners, though, they, they have to learn OS 9 as well before they get into all that. Otherwise, right. they don't. Yeah, yeah, at least some of it. That's, download, that's one of the, download one of the pre-built uh, images out there that I've gotten. It's got an assembler already on there, and it's got an assembler works. It's yes, but then, but, too. but you have to also learn the OS nine library. Right. Mm. Yeah. There's 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 only a few calls really that you would you know deal with when you're writing as a beginner to just learn assembly code. Well, let's see. You know, print statement. Okay, well, you know, OS9, uh, O dollar sign, you know, the, the O dollar sign print command and, the, and that call and how it works. You know, if you're trying to write in, in, uh, in machine code for basic, you've got to learn all the basic entry points, which is probably a lot harder than lo learning a few of those system calls under OS9. Um, no, uh, no, no, I disagree. That's probably relative to the individual, though. But so, Grant, what, what's your takeaway from this? <laughs> <laughs> well, I do think I, I think that you first of all, from what I'm gathering, it looks like basic is what you're going to have to learn first, just to get the basic foundation, and then depending on your flavor, you would either go S9 or just jump right into the assembly language itself. All right. So, and, and one technique that I've used is actually had somebody write a game in basic or write a program basic. Then what we did, step by step, recreated the basic commands in assembly. Yeah. 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 You can create your own print routine, and then once you've done it once, you've pretty well you, you can reuse that bit of code in uh, every other future program. Mm -hmm. Essentially, creating your own libraries. Yes. So we have luck. I being a Tetris clone, is, and so I thought, well, okay, this might be writable in the basic, and it wasn't planned to be a commercial game. Okay, and it was just designed to be a gift to my brother for Christmas, and so I wrote it in basic. And it ran in basic. It just, I wasn't happy with how it ran in basic. And so it was converted. But that was the only thing that I, game that I did that way. But it was the idea, you know, the goal wasn't a commercial production game when I started on it. And the fact of, you know, if you can't write a loop to do the print statement in, you know, straight assembly language, you're not going to understand the OS9 calls. It is definitely a, a bit of higher overlearning in, in my opinion. And of yep. course, it's everybody has a different mindset, the way they think, and so OS9 might be easier for most people, or for some other people. But with my teaching experience that I have, I my judgment would be not probably much. But for some, yes. I've, I've, I've noticed typically I see that a lot of people haven't really looked at the documentation for the OS nine system calls yet. They they say that, but no. they actually they're they're pretty simple to to use from a machine language program. You basically, you know, there's an uh, using the OS nine assembler. It takes care of doing a macro for the uh, the the software interrupt to call the call for you. So you just say OS nine, which is the macro space. And then the name of the call you're doing, and before you call the call, um, just like the basic uh, ROM routines, you just have to make sure that you have your your entry parameters set up for that particular call, which are you know pretty well documented in the OS9 manual as far as what the call parameters are. 
Oh, yeah, I, no. yeah I, I don't think anybody's questioning how easy it is to use, but it is another level to learn, whether it be OS 9 or it be developing under Windows or the Mac OS, whatever the current version is, or iOS. It is a level that the person has to learn. True, but you either have to do that. You have to do one of a few things. You either have to do that or you have to program and, and, and learn the ROM calls and their entry routines, and they are no, not well documented. No, no, you don't need to learn the ROM calls. Just don't or, use them. Or if you don't use the ROM calls, then you have to learn the hardware and how to write to it directly. Or... Mm -hmm. You know, you need to, you know, which is my other recommendation for somebody who doesn't want to touch OS 9 and they, they want to, the other option is, which I don't consider as good, but it does, you know, it is a good option, is to write USR routines for basic or subroutines. And so have a little basic program and have you call your little assembly language subroutine and return back to basic with a result. And that's exactly how I, uh, how I started. That's how I started. Write a game in basic. Yeah. Right. You write a game it's in a basic. Strategy. Yeah, you write a game in basic, and then you look at the parts of the basic program which are too slow, and you write a subroutine in assembly language to speed up that aspect of the game, and you just do a USR to or uh, whatever a USR to that subroutine. That way, you can have your whole game, and you you're learning assembly language in in smaller chunks. No, you kind of baby step. Baby step yeah. your transition. Right. Yeah, like my, 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 my Olympic decathlon game I submitted to Rainbow, which is when I was very first learning assembly language. I had one assembly language routine, and that was to scroll the ground on the bottom of the screen because that was way too that slow using get put. In my early TRSA days, I came out with light pin and software that did uh, music and stuff like that. They were all uh, user calls, and even for the Coco, I came out with some, let's see, uh, light pin software for the Coco that was a user call. And, of course, the infamous uh, mouse code that uses the high-res joystick routine. Yeah. Now, the thing that's caused me personally to pull my hair out when doing user calls, and I know how to write you know, assembly code, is, well, let's just say, have you ever tried to return a string back to basic from a user routine? It, you know, the, the format for doing that is obtuse, to say the least. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, let's not let's not beat this one any longer. I think this horse is. Okay. is I think this horse's grandchildren are dead at this point. Um, it, so. it, it, it depends <laughs> on what color horse you you prefer. Is <laughs> I have got one OS nine question though. That if if this is the tech segment, I've got one more question. <laughs> if, if we can change topics off of uh, of the programming, then yes, please. <laughs> okay. Uh, in my um. Uh, my cleanup. I'm uh, packing up all my magazines, ready to move to new premises, and I'll come across a magazine I had called Pipelines, which is a, I think it's a magazine edited by Microware. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I've got an issue. I've just got one issue here, Volume Eight, Number One, and on the cover, it talks about Atomic OS Nine and OS Nine Version Three. That's OS, that's OSK, that's 68,000 OS9. Well, they're, they're saying OS9, so is that, is that OS9? That was their generic term for everything until they did OS9000. So the 68,000 version was called OS9 slash 68,000, but they just called it OS9. Oh, okay. Yeah. I just thought that, you know, we, the color computer got shortchanged here. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. There's yeah, there's a thousand in it. That was one thing. Ron, you still got time? And talk about, you know, doing an OS 9 version 3 with Nitrous 9, etc. But it's, to my knowledge, I'm pretty sure, never been completed. There, and not even to the point where it's really runnable. Ron, you still good for a segment? Sure. All right, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and then we're going to come back with Ron's Garage. And Grant, thanks for the question. And hopefully you were able to glean something from this. <laughs> Everybody's and, opinions are, I think that's what he gleaned from. Yes. All right, we're going, to, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back, and we're going to see what's doing this week in Ron's Garage. Tandy Assembly would like to thank our sponsor, Boyson Tech. Vintage computer systems, gaming consoles, and parts. Boyson Tech repairs, refurbishes, and sells vintage and game consoles. Be sure to visit them on Facebook. Just search for Boyson Tech, B-O-Y-S-O-N-T-E-C-H. Thank you to Boyson Tech for being a Tandy Assembly sponsor. Hi, this is John Linville. And Neil Blanchard. We are the Coco Crew. I hope you're enjoying watching Stevie Strobe play video games, especially the Coco games. And when you're done with that, check out our podcast at CocoCrew.org. At home, at the beach, in your car, at the shop, at the office, anywhere you enjoy fine audio programming. It's North America's premier source for color computer news. The Coco Crew Podcast. This is John Linville. And Neil Blanchard. And we are the Coco Crew. I hope it's going to be a great show. Join John and Neil each month as they bring the latest news about the color computer, Dragon, MC10, and others. It's the Coco Crew Podcast. Visit www.cococrew.org and listen today. Miss that theme song. All right, everybody, we are back for another segment of Ron's Garage with a peek into the past featuring the vintage computing collection of Ron Delvo. Take it away, Ron. Okay. <laughs> no pressure. All right, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> I don't see myself up there, but. I am. Am I up there? You're. Uh, you are the sent. You are the spotlight of the show right now, sir. Okay. Well, I don't see myself on there. Anyway, uh, on your. Um, I don't know if you can see this, but I found on uh, Google Play a uh, Coco Text Adventure program that has three. Um, it has Bedlam. Racket 2, and uh, Pyramid 2000. Okay. That you can play when you're sitting at the doctor's office on your uh, droid. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, very interesting. It has a neat little interface. Um, I have a, a green line on my screen, so I don't know if you can see it very well. I can well, see the cover art right now, yes. Yeah, and uh, when you go into it, it has uh, a little interface with... Uh, um, arrows and stuff. Anyway, 
it's something for you to check out. Coco Just Tex go. Adventures in the uh, Google Play Store. Yes. And there's also, for that. I also have a Model 1 emulator on there. Um, I don't know where, where that is real quick to find. But anyway, if you go to, um, if you right now can uh, flip to my um, 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 Coco, my garage, and there's a video there of my garage. Which okay. We can uh, view we real quick. We can do that right now. Hold on one second. Let's get to the... Let's get to the page. Ron's Garage. Let's go full screen. I don't All know right. why I can't see what you're doing. You need to click on the. You need there's there's bunch there's different people in the Skype call. So click on the one that's got that's got me. Click on my name and make that the the big window. I think. Um, okay. So in, in your garage, I was keeping up with you today. So this came up in the Facebook group where somebody's coming up with these labels to print on SDC cards. So I thought that was kind of interesting, and you've got some of those there. I did a couple. Yeah, I still don't see you. Okay, I, I can anybody else see my thing? Can you guys I see me? I can see it. Yeah, yeah, I can, yeah, I can see it. Yeah, it's uh, also coming through on the live too. There's a bunch of round logos on the bottom. DLBN, you know, all them, but no uh, Stevie well, Stroke. Mine is uh, mine's a white box. It should be the white box that's showing off the Facebook page right now. And I do have that problem. I can't seem to find you on the on the bottom of the Skype call for some reason. Nope. I, yeah, I got the same speaking thing. Speaking out the number of the people on the number of people on the call. I do okay. not see. You. All right, I I don't know how to how, how to address that though. You just need a wider monitor, Ron. That would solve it. Yeah. All right. So here's your video. Here's a peek inside Ron's garage. Wow! Look at all that original package. Yeah. Basically, I have three uh, three computers set up. One's a Coco 3, one is a uh, Coco 2 with a Coco 3 keyboard, and it has composite in it, and the uh, third your, one uh, is telescopes. Yeah. And here's the silver Coco with the silver multi-pack. Yeah. Got a couple of Cocos on top of a boombox there, a stack of printers. Yeah. The Beatles. The Beatles, yep. well, a, couple, a couple of MC10s. There you go. Here's a Coco 3. Another Coco 2. I couldn't tell exactly what that pad. last computer was. Yeah, nice printers. A lot of multi-packs. Dual floppies. Monitor switches here. Yeah, you got a lot of nice stuff in there. Yep. It's my playground. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'll, roll the, uh, I'll roll the video one more time. Okay, you got a dragon in the box there, too. Okay, so yep. this is a that's a Coco three. Okay, connected to a uh, monitor. It's a Coco three connected to a flat panel. Uh, you've got the little koala pad there. Very nice. Yeah. Uh, here's your uh, Coco silver Coco one with a uh, nicer Coco two keyboard. Yep. Yep. So that's the actual Ron's garage. So when you pull yep. things out of here, that's this is where they're it. coming from. Right. Part of it. Other garage in the house. <laughs> There's another spot with a bunch of stuff in there, and a lot of my uh, Model Fours, Model Three, my um, you know, like ten, I have two Tandy two thousands, two um, twelve hundred HDs. Uh, wow. John uh, so Linville, you, next time you have Tandy assembly, you should just have it at Ron's garage. Yeah, <laughs> really. Everything's already there, set up, ready to go. You just <laughs> well, just need attendance. Is it all, all Tandy stuff? Is, 
All we really need is an invitation yeah. from the venue. <laughs> <laughs> New location. I have one, um, one computer that's a uh, um, AT that doesn't work. I don't know why it doesn't work now, but it used to. It was a um, Epson. Hmm. Yeah, I remember those. But yeah. uh, most of your stuff is all Tandy stuff? Yeah, and it, it pretty much all works. I have one Tandy 1200 HD that doesn't work. But the rest, all this stuff works. You turn it on, it works. It's Model 3, Model 4s, Model 4P, uh, Model 1. And it's all original. You're the original yep. owner. Yep. Uh, some of the stuff I got in a... Um, I bought uh, a person died... And the brother had his estate, and he gave me. That's how I got um, the Model Fours uh, and Model Three and uh, CGP two twenty, custom printers, and all kinds of uh, EEPROM burner and all kinds of stuff. Went for three hundred bucks. You know, just wow. one. Yeah, it was amazing. That is amazing. That's back in the late, early mid mid nineties or so. Yeah. And, I just carry this stuff with me everywhere, <laughs> from uh, Rochester, New York, to here in uh, Arizona, and then now um, I'm 50 miles from where I used to live in Arizona, in uh, Fountain Hills. Well, let me ask you a question about being in Arizona and having things in a garage. What's the climate like there? Um, well, it gets hot, you know. Yeah. Uh, we get 120 in the summer, and um, I keep uh, some stuff both garages and some stuff in the house that i cherish that i don't want to be in the heat right and what's the humidity like is is arizona it's more dry 12 14 percent because the problem <laughs> we have with garages stuff in florida is you can actually get like moldy type stuff we've got a lot yep. of humidity so when you get that moisture and that heat together you leave things in cardboard boxes and stuff like that they can really you know start to gunk up you got to be really yep. careful it's heat. We yeah, have I've heat had a problem for me here in Miami. I have to go in my garage and wring the water out of the air with a towel. <laughs> wow. We have, uh, I have my, uh, my in-laws live in uh, Palm Bay, Florida. Uh -huh. So uh, we wind up going to Florida often. So um, I'll come see you sometime. Yeah, let me know next time you're coming down. Yeah, and if we have uh, some kind of... Uh, cocoa assembly down there that'd be fun yeah yeah we'll have to figure out a uh let's let's get through tandy assembly first and yeah then we'll, and then we'll figure a uh southeast um pilgrimage event somehow now, I'm, so. I'm one of my um future um probably won't have one next weekend but uh weekend after um you know is it okay to show um my model 4p or of course Model 4, you know, I've, I've been looking at these suckers sitting there and thinking maybe I should fire them up and yeah, yeah. And just uh, throw a DOS on there. And Well, let me let me, let me me just, before I give you a blanket answer, yes, I need to check this with David Ladd real quick. Hey, David, is that okay? <laughs> <laughs> they have floppies. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, I'm not touching that. <laughs> the, the timing of doing that in two weeks would be perfect because next week is Tandy Assembly and as a follow-up of all the machines that people could have seen at Tandy Assembly, you can demonstrate some of them that we're not familiar with. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's well, a great. I thing. have a, a two thousand I can set up and um, you know four four P and yeah uh, three and mod one. And yeah. just have it set up, you know, or whatever. Whatever. You don't happen to have Gone Abuana for the two thousand because I'd like to see that. I've never seen. That. No, I didn't I even know it existed. 
Oh, Does exist for the 2000? Yeah, Steve uh, mentioned that he ported it to it officially. Interesting. I yeah, have a bunch of stuffy software, like, you know, um, spreadsheets, databases, stuff like that. Um, Boring. I'm, I might even have, like, <laughs> CPM or something for it. Or, I don't know. We'll, we'll do an hour-long demonstration of DBase 4 just for Steve. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's like talking about assembly, huh? <laughs> I, no, no assembly is way more fun than D-Base. Right? I wonder if Buena Buena for the 2000 would run under DOSBox on, on a, as an emulator. I'm sure it would. Hmm. Do you still have copies of it, Steve? Or? I'll have to dig through and see if I can find it. But, um, yeah, I, actually, I did Ganabuana for the PC or I should say the 2000, before I did Ganabuana for the Coco. Oh, interesting. Oh, really? Yeah, I own, I, I've got a, a copy of your Ganabuana, which I bought back in the day for the color computer, and I still run it from time to time. Um, and it's one of the ones that the games actually use the speech pack a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was the first. I've, I've, never, I've never seen the, uh, the copy uh, for, for the, uh, the 2000, the IBM PC uh, not the IBM, the Tandy PC version. Uh, you know, if you, you know, I don't suppose if you know, if you could, uh, maybe send a copy of that to me. I'd like to look at it at some point if you could find it. Uh, I'll have to look for it in November. What CPU is the two thousand running? Eighty-one eighty-six. One eighty-six. Yeah. Yeah, one a one eighty-six CPU. Basically, it was identical to the 8086, except for a lot of the support chips were actually on the chip. Yeah, so maybe uh, next week I'll uh, open up the uh, 2000 and you guys can look in there. Mm, interesting. See the chip. I'm, I'm guessing, Steve, the sales weren't too great for that because that was more of a business-oriented machine, wasn't it? Uh, exactly. Actually, <laughs> I think it was more of a, a legal issue they were trying to avoid. Okay. Also, they wanted the uh, the uh, PC guys to pay for half the development cost of Ganabuana because I included that comic book. All right. So you, the comic book was designed before the Coco version as well, then. Yeah, that wasn't Coco unique okay. in conjunction. And what was interesting is the artist for the comic book was the same one that was doing the Indiana Jones series. Comic oh, neat, books. neat, yeah. You can see hey, the what influence was the big there. Deal about logo back in the day, the language logo, or does anybody what about it? That it seemed like Tandy pushed that a lot, or you know, was it for it's a kids thing, or I think it was an it? educational language, wasn't it, to teach people? Yeah, that's what they were basically pushing it for, and not just on the cocoa. I mean, the Apple II had logo and stuff too, so. That's the first language I learned in third grade. Hmm. Well, the other language they're pushing back there for educational was uh, Pascal. Yeah, yeah, we used Apple Pascal at uh, school. I, I can't, I can't see that being used as an educational language unless you want to scare somebody away from computers forever. <laughs> uh, come on, come on, well, come on! Now I worked on the Pascal project back down San Diego, and um, interesting enough, Pascal was written in Pascal. <laughs> here comes that chicken and egg thing yeah the only thing is you couldn't use any new uh improvements to the language until it was at least two versions old yeah i, I i'm not saying don't get me wrong i'm not saying it was a bad language i've written stuff in pascal 
but it's not one that I would recommend for a computer beginner. Well, you also like OS 9, but we won't get into it. <laughs> Shots fired. Hey, 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 no touching OS 9. Learning assembly in OS 9 is not something I would recommend for a computer beginner either. Yeah, uh, but, 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 but seriously. If you're just starting out in a computer, I'd recommend starting out in you know a basic interpreter and learning you know, the yeah. concepts of programming there. Yeah. You know, in addition to that, they had languages back then, such as Forth, Lisp. I mean, there's a whole ton of languages that everybody started jumping on the bandwagon that said, this is perfect for microprocessors, this is perfect for teaching kids. And Pascal was one of them where the universities uh, really got on board. Yeah, and some of the high schools did too. Like a lot of our local high schools here went Pascal for a few years. Yeah, I used, to, I used to program Pascal as well, but but did the Cocoa version of Pascal have inline assembly like uh, the 8086, 8186, 286 version? Well, they compiled the Pico, so probably not. No. Mm. Uh, by the way, uh, my fingerprints were all over the turtle graphics on uh, the Pascal. That's the part I worked on when I was at the university. Hmm. Neat. And the turtle graphics is what it was called was logo, right? Because the logo language, you were moving a turtle on the screen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah, kind of logo. central to Pascal. Okay. The logo, I would say, is much more of a beginner's language that's kid-friendly, et cetera, for right. somebody. Sorry. Yeah. Very, very cool. Uh, what is Mark Overholzer holding up? Apple Mark logo. Holding yep, up a picture I use that. Apple logo. Okay. Uh, maybe I should go and get a prologue book. <laughs> as long as it's not fourth, I, that one just boggled my mind. I just couldn't get the concept of how to even do math. It just seems so backwards. That What is it, Polish notation it's called or something? Yep, Polish notation. Yeah. Uh, I, I never could wrap my head around that. Steve Wozniak was a strong supporter of uh, uh, reverse Polish notation on a Apple computer. He was a HP calculator engineer. <laughs> You got it. That's mm. why. Yeah, that's right, because the calculators use that same notation. Especially HPs. <laughs> yeah, some of them did. It's hard to find one that doesn't use RPN. And uh, I remember uh, somebody brought a calculator to the Homebrew Computer Society and showed it to Waz that used parentheses instead of reverse Polish notation. <laughs> and it was kind of like he was showing him the devil. <laughs> <laughs> hey, how, many, how many of you guys owned a Pulsar watch? Oh, no, I'm not familiar with that one. I, 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 I did a long, 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 long time ago. I don't know where it went. Yeah, I had one until it quit. <laughs> it, it, it quit cool working. It, mine quit working at some point. I forget. You know. Yeah, mine <laughs> Well, Steve, maybe we should end this rat hole and get back to the subject. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know what the I don't even know what the subject has been. But yeah, Tandy Assembly was the original uh, theme for today's show. Now that's good. Um, uh, so, Ron, thanks. Thank you again for another segment. That's great. Ron's yep. Garage got good stuff. Um, yeah, you're. We're always interested in seeing what you have. It's all cool, vintage, retro stuff, and it's your segment. And the great thing about having your own segment is you show off whatever the hell you want. As long as we clear of David Ladd and his people, he's got an entourage now. So 
good stuff. All, all Ron's stuff has floppies in it, so there you go. Yep. So, I, I do want to show off something that I think is 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 nice to see too, um, which is the fact that um, we got a, a nice little write up in uh, the Glenside newsletter this month, and so this comes out. This is Glenside, as you know, is a, is a club who hosts Coco Fest, and so they did write up um, Coco Talk in here. I need to find this section right now. Uh, so it starts right here. So by John Mark Mobley and Steve Strobridge and Mark Overholzer. So we got a couple different quotes in here. So and he starts off by saying this. Okay, we need to make sure we clear some of these definitions. So there is a Coco Chat, which is the Internet Relay Chat. There is Coco Crew, which is a monthly podcast. There is the Coco List, which is the Coco mailing list. There is Coco Talk, which is a weekly live youtube show and now there's the audio version of coco talk that is the podcast version so no confusion there uh, this is as complicated as os9 now <laughs> ease of use <laughs> so uh just go about your lives people nothing to see here but and it's nice to make those distinctions right no, it's not that complicated yet Right, and so um, it does talk about, uh, you know, the Coco Talk is a show you can see, uh, you know, Saturdays at 2 p.m. It has the link to our website, how, how to email me, um, how to see some videos, and then um, talks about the Coco Links page that I've been working on, all these resources, which is amacoconut.com, and it kind of gets into saying what the show is all about, and I kind of gave him a brief um, version of what it was. And then we also got um, uh, somebody else put in a, um, a note here, which I thought was, I think it was Mark Overholzer, that said right here from the, from the Coco mailing list, um, it says, attending a Coco talk stream is like going to a weekly user group meeting. It says, you even have special guests and luminaries and former and current software developers, and uh, et cetera, and presentations from members working on their projects. So yeah, it is kind of like a user group, or it's like a club. It's you know we're getting together, or you know, or some people would even say we're maybe possibly something like the View. So uh, <laughs> so it is uh, you know it's uh, it's a bunch of people here yentering it up here, a bunch of cackling hens talking about whatever, and um, and we've Please. never. <laughs> Go ahead, John. Don't be hating. <laughs> Don't be hating. <laughs> And we've never, ever taken anything too far. Everything has always been concise and well-structured. Uh, <laughs> Well-planned. You, 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 you want to uh, re-classify uh, that? <laughs> Floppy talk. <laughs> so, well, the length uh, of the show is definitely based on the fact that there's no real plan for it. Yes, yeah. The way I, I like to say this is well-managed chaos, and um, or slightly, slightly managed chaos is probably. Yeah, I was just going to say thing. I don't know about the well-managed. Yeah. slightly managed chaos, and um, it's definitely a train wreck waiting to happen. And so far, the train has managed to stay on the rails most of the time until we start going down the OS nine path. But uh, <laughs> if we uh, grow some, maybe. Um Bill Gates would come and talk about how he uh, did the uh, basic interpreter for our machine. That would be interesting, right? Wouldn't that yeah, be that cool? Fascinating talk there, I'm sure. That would be great to um, get 
him to verbally say, use the ROMs and release the emulation. Let you know, let if you if you release it, they will build, you know, or something. <laughs> if we did ever manage to do that, I'd like to get Eric Gavrilek on the same one because he had a good uh, story that he told in Nick's book when Nick interviewed him back in 1999 when Bill Gates wanted in the office and they were working on the original um, paint program for Windows. And Eric was complaining how slow it was for all the Windows guys, and uh, you know they didn't believe him. So he brought in ColorMax Deluxe on his mm. Coco 3 and brought it in the office, and Bill wandered by, and they started talking about some of the ROM routines that Bill wrote. Oh, wow. Yeah, that would be an interesting well, story. Being, being as, as Bill Gates is famous for being a philanthropist and donating to all kinds of various things yes. and doing public works, if we could actually manage to get a hold of the guy or get his attention there's a good chance that he probably would release the ROMs. It's just getting a hold of him is, well, well nigh impossible. Right, well, if he's watching this, uh, why don't we just invite him now? Yeah, Bill, come on in. Uh, yeah. and this almost sounds like a Brother Jeremy song needs to be written. Uh, oh, Bill, why don't you set the ROMs free? You, know? <laughs> you, you guys do realize that Bill no longer really runs the company? Oh, yeah, yeah. But uh, he's got time to... He's twice Whatever. removed. <laughs> yeah, but um, I think that probably he would have maybe enough influence and contacts there to to have a good chance to make it happen. Sure. Mm -hmm. You know how some of us, when we get older, we get nostalgic about our computers? No, I have maybe no idea. He would feel the same way. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. yeah, you never know. You know, they say wish in one hand and... <laughs> never hurts to ask. I think that's yeah, the motto. Yeah, never hurts to ask. Yeah, yeah. Well, you guys do know basically that it was the PC that kind of ended the life of the color computer. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Tandy, really Candy, Candy. I don't know. It, it 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 had it had help. Do we really well, want to on that? <laughs> I, I I actually do know a story where it got extended another two years because a little rivalry between the two. Between the two between the two and it had to do with uh, the guys were kept on saying our, our PC line produces better computers they can do more stuff and everything looks better on theirs so the guys from the Cocoa division set up one of their machines with the identical same program on the Cocoa as on their machine and had the guys come in the guys go yes look at Rampage here doesn't it look so much better on the PC, it's got the great colors. It looks like the arcade. Uh, and then the guy showed him the cable was connected to the Coco, and <laughs> crappy oh. version was the one running on the PC. That got the wow. Coco another two years. Uh, wow. Because they were about ready to cancel the uh, Coco at that time. That's great to hear. Yeah, yeah. Ultimately, though, I think it was not the, not the IBM that, uh, but uh, Tandy's own internal, I think, uh, competition between those two departments. Um, Tandy just, you know, they, they decided that they wanted to concentrate on their IBM compatible line. Well, that's and, what I just said. Hmm. Yeah, yeah but it was the, ultimately it was the piece, the piece, their, their, their PC, their PC line. line. Well, the other other thing, too, is Radio Shack stores were small, and you only had so much shelf space, and you were putting Coco games up there that were 30 bucks, and then you had word processors that were $100, $200, $300 taking the same amount of space, about the same amount of space. Well, they kept on looking at that same shelf space. We could sell three times, four times the price on the PC line. 
And that's eventually what killed the cocoa. Yeah. Well, didn't freeware uh, help that too? Freeware on the PC side or the cocoa side? Yeah, PC side. Yeah, there was there was plenty of freeware on the PC side as well as on the cocoa side. So sure. Yeah. Sure. Well, they didn't make their money off of freeware, so that didn't matter to yeah, them. Matter what they wanted to do was sell hardware, and software just supported the hardware sales. Well, when I got my PC, the biggest thing I was excited about was being able to get um, free programs that did stuff, you know, and it seemed like anything you wanted to do, you can imagine just go out there and look for something that did what you wanted it to do, and you can get an application to do it for free. And it wasn't long before a lot of those uh, free programs were bringing along um, other software that would masquerade. Uh, basically, um, you know, to tr- try and make a business model out of it. And then, of course, we had malware ca- creeping in, too. Yeah. yeah. I, th- I think by 1988, every anyone who had an 8-bit computer for sale was thinking of getting out. It was the uh, era of the 16-bit, and uh, 32-bit was around the corner. So why would you keep selling an 8-bit computer? Well, it was also the video games with their 8-slash-16-bit wars that also affected the PC industry or the what I would call the personal computer industry, not the IBM mm-hmm. personal industry. Right. Because people started thinking about 8-bit, 16-bit, and eventually 32- and 64-bit. More bits had to be better. Yeah, more is more. Well, they, they, I think, though, what ultimately killed the, the 8-bit competing platforms was not that they were 8-bit because they could have been extended to, you know, or expanded, upgraded, etc. But around that time, you know, the IBM PC was out and it was a standard platform and there were multiple companies producing it and Mm -hmm. they were compatible with each other. And that intercompatibility is what killed all these little competing, you know, different uh, variants of, you know, computers that were not compatible with each other. Well, the thing about the Tandy computers when they first came out with their, uh, uh, you know, the 2000, the 1000, stuff like that, they had compatible on the operating system level, but not on the BIOS. It took companies like Compaq to make the black box BIOS that was compatible, and then everybody just bought those. Hmm. Well, also, the fact be- that IBM accidentally made the ISA uh, architecture to be open standard, and then they tried to capture it back when they switched over to the PS2. Uh, actually, it wasn't a mistake. They uh, purposely planned to use uh, off-the-shelf components because they had such a fast development cycle they had to do. Mm. Yeah, I, I, mean, I meant more from a marketing and sales right. be- because they ended up losing the market because they did make it open. But yeah, at the they- beginning, it was an advantage. But IBM never sold that many computers on a given computer line because they were used to selling their mainframe computers and like that. And so if they had a few hundred sales in a month, that was extremely great uh, business. They didn't think personal computers were going to sell that much. So they did everything on the cheap. They got the stuff out. Uh, There's a great documentary on the facility i think that was in florida that built the machine because they wanted to be away from uh corporate ibm mm-hmm. and it was it's a, near me yeah incredible 
what uh, came out of there as far as how quickly. Because usually an IBM computer took about four years to build, design and build. Hmm. My, my, my favorite comment from the IBM development cycle was the infamous comment, oh, nobody will ever need more than 640K of memory. Right. All right. Well, have we beat this episode to death? Because I feel beaten. <laughs> I think this is a good. Uh, I think this has been a good episode. Um, we are running a little short this week. We haven't quite hit the three-hour mark, so this is kind of, uh, you know, this is a short episode this week. The viewers will thank you. <laughs> oh, you're two, one of those people that were complaining about the length. The, okay. The no, two that are left. <laughs> Well, yeah. most of the podcasts I work on are usually run 45 minutes to an hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's um, it's always the balancing act to let the conversation flow, but also try to let not let the flow, you know, flow too much. So um, so we'll get there. But anyway, so talk to you later. All right, hey, Simon, thanks okay. for joining us. So yeah, uh, John Linville, thanks for being here today. Uh, the whole for the whole show, we um, we are really excited about Tandy Assembly. Um, looking forward to being there next weekend, and yeah. all that good stuff. And everybody else who's been here today, we've had Mark Overholzer with us. Bill Noble has been here, been a little bit quiet. Um, international um, podcasts and internet celebrity David Ladd has graced us with his presence today. Um, Ron Delvoe and Barry Nelson and, and Simon Jonasson and I saw Benjamin in the background Simon's son came in there Nick Morentes, Ease of Use Ease of Use Yes, Jim Brain from Retro Innovations <laughs> another, um, another sponsor of Tandy Assembly Jim, uh, thanks for uh, sponsoring we're looking forward to seeing you next weekend too and um, Curtis Boyle, Grant Leedy with his question of the week that sparked a very brief rebuttal of um, <laughs> what platform should be used um, Rick Adams is here and Steve Bjork thanks for stopping by as well with your input on assembly too um, and the words we will leave you with are going to be Tandy assembly make sure you are there mm -hmm. and uh, don't miss it be there or be square <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry I can't miss it October is my busy season yes. with all this haunt stuff Yes. I'm, yeah. I'm afraid, unfortunately, I'm going to have to be a square, but I want to make it one of these years. Maybe <laughs> yes, we have yeah. the end next year or you know, the year after. I'll try to make one of these. Uh, yeah. It does sound interesting. Yeah, maybe we can well, carpool. You, you can join the ride with me and Mike Brandt. <laughs> yeah. Maybe next yeah, what's year we'll really, do Copenhagen. What's really cool is uh, after all these years of reading the rainbow and and being on the computer and seeing you guys' names being put out there and then being able to talk to you or hear you talk and learn all this stuff is really cool. Yeah, definitely. Definitely, Ron. Definitely. Yeah, just right, hearing to get here getting to hear David Ladd speak about floppies, I mean that has just, you know, made my life. So <laughs> Curtis <laughs> Curtis, no, no. We're not it's and listen replacement for the Rainbow we're, magazine. We're not allowed to make fun of David at least this episode. Oh, I was being there's serious. Be a... <laughs> there's no fun being made there, so um, what about David's floppies? What? <laughs> <laughs> As a matter of fact, with Curtis, it was all your fault. You you planted that seed in his twisted mind to start seeing what he could do with. <laughs> yeah, okay, that that is true. 
that Curtis got me right revitalized. Ooh, Let's see how far um, down that rabbit hole. on the floppy stuff. I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to cassette talk. Cassette talk, isn't it? <laughs> that's a that. Listen, Until David. We, there's analog data on a cassette, David. So you, you can be passionate for that too. Remember, <laughs> like VGA with modulation on those. Yes. Mm. Just, just don't talk about cassettes so much that we all get bawd. I could spend two hours talking about trying to manufacture cassette tapes that would be reliable on almost every cassette player. I could spend two hours on it. It is the biggest bane I can remember from early days of Coco and other systems. Wow. I, 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 I do agree. I had a lot of problems with getting cassettes to, to cassettes. write and then read back on, on different cassette players. These days, uh, my solution to that is called an MP3. <laughs> <laughs> and it works about every time. Yeah. yeah just I, have computer, I have books of uh, cassette holders with cassettes in there from back in the day. Yeah, they seem to hold up pretty well, though. Because yeah. I purchased, uh, I purchased a color computer learning lab, um, and those cassettes were in near pristine condition. Yeah, I've still got a whole shelf of Coco cassettes back over here. So <laughs> Michael Newman says I lost many of a Daggerath save to an unreliable tape. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's got to be a, a terrible lesson to. Uh, and Bruce Moore says cassette talk. No. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Bruce. We're going to start cassette talk. <laughs> cassette you would talk. not believe at Datasoft how many cassettes we would get back because the people's players uh, in the process of playing and rewinding like that would actually stretch the yeah. tape. Oh, wow. Well, oh, yeah, I've had that happen. Or actually snap it if it was bad enough. I do have yeah. one little cassette trick that I'm, I'm going to put out there for our, our modern computer users that are having to bootstrap their drive wire systems. I found that uh, if you speed up you, you double speed up the uh, the drive wire bin file that you're loading. If you're loading it, you don't have it on a ROM. You're loading it off a cassette. If you speed it up to twice speed and you poke the six five four nine seven comma zero and put the Coco three in high speed mode, it 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 loads it fine. In half the time. In, yeah, because half the it, time, it, which you know we're waiting for a drive wire binary to load off of tape. That uh, you know. Use a bit of time there is to you know save it and then then load it back in double speed and it works. Uh, you get you get up and running in DriveWire if you don't have the ROM a lot quicker that. Hey, this show would be half speed. Yeah, right. Double yeah, poke it. Double right? poke it. Yeah. Double poke it. Okay. Um, that remind we my computer club. They had a project where we came up with what we called a cassette modem, and it combined the speakerphone and a few cables that you plugged into your cassette port and we were able to start a voice conversation over speakerphone and one person would do a c save m and the other person would do a c load m and we would push files over the phone line to them we did the and, same and we were able to do that at a faster speed than the typical 300 baud modem because the cassette port was something like 1500, 1500. Baud or something like yeah. that yeah so that was our club project and uh, it was pretty cool to, to swap files over the phone you know yeah, we did the same thing, Dwayne Downing and I. That's uh, the way we first managed to see Donkey King running because somebody in the club got it, couldn't get over there because we were kids, we didn't have cars or anything, so they sent us a copy to try it out. 
we were just amazed. Yeah, and we had a little toggle switch. So the the our phrase was when we we're getting ready to send was switches on now, right? So we were you one person hit load, one person hit save. We'd say switches on now. We'd flip the switch and hit enter, and boom, and just wait for the transmission to finish. Um, it's kind of neat, you know, peer to peer file sharing uh, in the in the early days. And Grant's apologizing for bringing that up in the chat. If you saw, <laughs> they cell phone too. Using a cell phone in the mall um, on CompuServe was really awesome with those brick phones. Okay. That was interesting. Did they work? Uh, did they have like an analog input where you could plug a, a thing into them? Or yeah, yeah, uh, neat. Did it in 1986 or whatever it was. That's impressive. Yeah. Awesome. Now, now we've done it. We've created a virtual cassette talk segment. Oh, no. Well, that's, no, well this is going to lead into Tandy Assembly. There's a mobile computing display that Randy Kinding's going to have. You could have the, uh, you could have the Radio Shack uh, suitcase uh, phone plugged into a Model 100, and you could go anywhere and be online, you know? <laughs> Did an IBM PC ever use a cassette? Yes. Yes. The original PCs had a cassette port. It was in. Yep. Yep. The original 256K PC did. Yep. Really? I don't know if anybody. I don't know many people actually used it, but yeah, it was there. Wow. Also, another thing a lot of people don't know about the PC is that the original IBM PC ROM actually had BASIC built in. It was called Cassette BASIC. It's like uh, one. Yep. Oh yeah, with BASIC A. Right. Well, BASIC A. If you look at the size of BASIC A compared to like GW BASIC, it's half the size. It's because GW BASIC has all of it in because it can't assume it's in the ROM. Whereas right. BASIC A assumes that the BASIC C is in the PC. Ah, uh, so yeah, I remember that. To the AT had BASIC and ROM. Mm -hmm. I worked in a lab that had PCs and XTs, so. Mm -hmm. <laughs> all right. Well, we're gonna have to save some of this data for another episode uh so this has been a great coco talk and all we can say is tandy assembly people we are looking forward to tandy assembly and we're going to wrap up this coco talk thank you everybody who was here live in the panel and thank you everybody who was in the live chat so we had retro innovations in the live chat norlander was in the live chat evan wright stopped by michael newman's in the live chat still solstice is in the right live chat karen was in there for a little while sixie was in there nick morentis started off in the live chat and have I missed anybody else? Uh, Wayne Campbell was in the live chat. And Jim Gary stopped by and said hello. I didn't even see that. Sorry, Jim, just seeing you here. Uh, Jim Gary's in the live chat. And uh, I think that is most of the names that I haven't forgotten. So, yeah, thank you, everybody, for watching. Thank you, everybody, for being here speaking. Next weekend, Tandy Assembly. All right, guys. We are going to wrap up this episode of Coco Talk. And we thank you for watching. Tune in next week to the live stream at Tandy Assembly, and we'll see you then, people. Be retro. <laughs> Later, all. Good night. Good night. All right. Well, we're off the air. The camera's still rolling, rolling for any bonus John. discussions. John. Now we can pre plan that cassette talk four hour marathon episode. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> John. John. So can PCB. we. You know, As I talk said, about what we talked about that we were going to talk about before we talked about it. Yeah, but I think we switched topics at some point in time, so now we have to start over. <laughs> okay. Next week will be Tandy Assembled. Tandy yeah. Assembled, yes. Mark we'll Overholder. Yeah. <laughs> Ask you a question. Sure. Have you done some sort of box design or other stuff like that for Atari 7800 homebrew games? No, no Atari stuff at all. It's not you. Nope, okay, I, 
This is an Atari 7800 homebrew podcast, and the host there keeps referencing a Mark Overhoiser, and I no. thought maybe he was just butchering your name. I mean, <laughs> all right. Good stuff, David. 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 Our our beloved David what? Ladd. What? <laughs> what? You didn't talk now much this week, David, David Ladd. <laughs> I didn't really get a chance to much. So. He's probably afraid. <laughs> <laughs> well, we He's got... too busy basking in the glow of being on the Coco Cruise. So. Nothing, nothing, <laughs> nothing legitimizes your, your place in this community like being on the Coco Crew podcast. Coco Crew podcast. Actually, I was going to push Jim's version of my project. So that way some people get some adapters out there. <laughs> ah. <clears throat> Yeah, well, it'll be there. It'll be there next week at Tandy Assembly. The parts, the rest of the parts are coming. So, I'll whip up the rest of the code right now. I'm busy debugging Cocoa Mim. So, cool. Sounds like you're making some progress on that. Ah, uh, man, I, I, you know, you have no idea, right? Because when I went to, I went to Cocoa Fest. I I got the board like a week and a half or two before Cocoa Fest, and I got it wired up, and I spent hours testing all the pins for the for the the gimme chip to make sure that i didn't have any shorts or anything and i got it ready to go and it booted up and it was like first or second time it came up and then it had all that crap on the screen and i worked on it for probably two or three days and i was like this just sucks i have no idea what's (laughs) going on and so it literally just sat in my bin of stuff that i wasn't even thinking about until about um probably about a week ago and then i'm like dang it i'll get it out and i mean i'm Surely I'm smart enough to figure this out. So, <clears throat> but man, it had my had me for lunch for for I don't know up until last night. So now I've been making big progress. I've you know I've separated all the CPU access from the gimme access, and and uh, so now I can replace the gimme registers with um, I can replace the gimme registers with the registers that I have on my board for the two meg part. But you know until you can get it to come up clean in a 512k mode then you're just hosed so it's nice to have it working yeah i think that was a question we brought up last week was that there apparently there's a handful of scenarios where if you've got two megs certain 512 games don't or programs in general might not um kind of yep. come back from it yeah barry i mean i i heard that bit last week on on the show barry and he and he had he and I talked to it on the phone, so um, I'll just put a, I mean, it's really easy to put a flag in that says, you know, if this bit is not set, then take the top however many bits, or take however many bits past six there are and, and set them to um, something. The question is what, because when I was doing, when I was reading back values on my gimme, the top two bits are set to one zero and so i always thought they were set to one one because they were basically unconnected so i'll have to see if it's always one one or if it's if it's something else so whatever it is we can just hard force them there if that flag is set the question is you know where do you put the flag because um there's not a whole lot of extra space laying around in the gimme map but it looks like there's a couple there's a couple bits that are unused in ff92 and and uh, I think there's a bit that's laying around there that nobody uses, but <clears throat> the Disto, uh, can't remember where it is here. Yeah, the, the V-Bank uh, FF9B looks like it's 
the only that was not used by Tandy, but Disto used it to set the video uh, between 512k banks. So yeah, and I think the we'll Nocam three kind of extended that update, Meg too, didn't they? I don't know. I don't. I mean, I'm looking at so you know, kind of dog fooding what you guys are talking about on the show. Um, I'm sitting on the Sockmaster gimme page, and that's what he's got. So if there's something else that Nocan did, you know, yeah, no, the, the Nocan there's a, there's a separate memory map with Nocan because the extended update makes so there's extra for the video banks and there's extra for the where the extra bits go beyond the two meg. So my question is, how important is it to support? I mean, how important it is to emulate that? Are there any Nocans that ever made it into the world except for maybe have- yours? No, no, there's a few more than that. Robert Galt's got one. I've got one. Paul had one. There's at least eight or nine that I know of that made it out in the wild. <clears throat> so are we what, thinking that's... Operating. Huh? How many is still operating that I made? Yeah. Mine is. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about anybody else's. No, it's just that it, it has drivers already done. Hmm. The RAM disks and stuff like that. So it would save you having to write some software. That's the only advantage to following that convention. Well, I'll yeah. see. I, I mean, I'll see if if it's relatively easy to support it, then that's fine. But it depends on how you know. Sometimes, if you go to tech like that, um, and people are trying to shoehorn stuff in, it, there's there's an art to shoehorning it in, right? Um, so if it's shoehorned in in a good way, then it should be easy to support. But if it was kind of plastered in in, a, in the wrong way, then I don't know. It'll depend on. You know, I've got a limited number of cells in the in the CPLD, so I have to start making some decisions. Right at the moment, I'm okay. I got the largest CPLD sitting on the board, so should have plenty of room. Yeah, for me, with OS 9, 2 meg, it would certainly be, for me, enough. <laughs> but it would be en- nice to have, you know, the extra 2 meg as a RAM disk. Well, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the big, you know, the big deal for me is, obviously, I'm, you know, I mean, I'm sure there there's sounded like there was some potential uh, desire to have greater than 512k of, of RAM, and so that was one of the things I was thinking about. But my big thing is if, if you want to go past 2 meg, then I think the way Nocan did it is it, it, it set pages. So you could, you, could, you could create a 2 meg page, and then you'd have another 2 meg page, but all your tasks had to be within that 2 meg page. And I'm trying to figure out if there's a way to set each task register up to be in its own in own space within like many many megs of RAM, so we'll see are how you far on, on that. Are you planning on adding more than just the two built-in tasks too, and extending the tasks? Uh, yes, I am. Okay, there's room for thirty-two. So, yeah, it'd be handy if you could actually have each one under its own control. Like you could tell it which two meg bank or whatever to be in, because then you could keep stuff completely separate from each other. Yeah, yeah, I'm 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 thinking about even for the first two banks, it'd be nice to have. So each bank could be anywhere within 16 meg, right? The CPLD, does that have direct access to the RAM? Like, can you program the CPLD to do something with the um, extra RAM that beyond what the CPU does? I'm thinking in terms of a blitter. Yeah, you can do that. <laughs> yes, you can. We, we, we yeah. actually have talked about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because if you could put a blitter in, because then then the board isn't just a RAM upgrade, it's also, uh, to a degree, an accelerator. Mm -hmm. You're right. Mm -hmm. And that's something I could definitely get behind. The big question, you know, the big issue is how much room do you have, right? Because, you know, the blitter potentially takes space on the 
reprogrammable matrix. And so there's only so much space on a CPLD. So I would say, you know, if you're looking, um, and, and, and the final version of this board probably won't have, have a CPLD either, but CPLDs are easier to work with when you're starting out. But FPGA, even, you know, if you're thinking about it, just an FPGA, you could have a very small FPGA and have a blitter capability or something else in it. And then, um, you know, and then you could keep going on. Of course, at some point, you're like, okay, well, uh, hey, Ed, uh, hey, Jim, why don't you guys get together? Because I only want to plug one board into my gimme socket. And, you know, you've got this gimme replacement over here, and you've got this RAM expansion capability over there, and you've got this blitter functionality. It'd be nice to kind of put it all together. And I know that's, Curtis, where you've championed in the past. Yeah. Well, I mean, so. you were talking about, like, how fast the memory access would be right from the FPGA. <laughs> That you could access what what did we figure it out to be eight bytes per cycle or something like that or four or something? Uh, well, you can you can you get four four bytes of access per cycle, um, be, uh, because you have sixteen bits of data, so you have two data paths and you have two halves of the cycle. So you've got four, but the key is is right now you know if you're doing a blitter, then um, you could you don't have to worry. You don't have to think about the CPU at all, right? Because what you could do is basically say, you know what, I'll take one of those one slot, and I will do um, CPU transfers. But then in the other slots, if I if I chop up the time in slots, then um, like right now, the uh, the the memory I'm using is 55 nanosecond memory, and so let's see, that's that's. Two, two, two memory cycles in 100 nanoseconds or 20 memory cycles in a microsecond. So 10, 10 cycles for, uh, for a half. So if you're running at full speed, basically you've got 10 memory cycles that you can go through. So if you could figure out how to, if you can figure out how to slice everything up appropriately, then you've got two memory cycles you have to use for gimme to pull data for the screen, and you've got one cycle that you need to use for the, for the CPU. So that leaves you almost seven cycles that you could do complete something completely different out and if you get down to 45 nanosecond time then you might be able to get eight or nine eight would be nice so if you did 45 nanosecond memory and you could get you could get eight cycles in a eight eight memory cycles in addition to the, the three that were necessary to run the computer and then you could use that so for every blitting cycle whatever you could, else yeah you could use that for blitting you could and i mean data moves of any kind right you could say here's a start and here's a beginning and every cycle you're going to move eight bytes so you're, we're just talking about strictly blittering as straight data in. We're not talking about trying to do any sort of um, operations where we're doing transparencies or anything like that. Yeah, I was just thinking uh, just a copy at least. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm looking at, I mean, the, the memory card itself really doesn't interest me at all. 512K should be enough for anyone. Um, <laughs> I don't see... <laughs> <laughs> I really don't believe that we're going to actually see anyone using more than 512 except for the handful of uh, heavy OS9 people who want to run as many programs as they can uh, who use it so little. Most things will only use 512. So I'm looking at there must be a way to add features that could be used in, uh, say, in a game in my case, you know. If it had a blitter, maybe I would write my next game to use the blitter. Right. 
Um, just as I've now um, started using the 6309, using its uh, effectively its software blitter, um, and I have found quite a speed increase there, um, just with the 6309, which is great. But I thought if the memory card could also have some extra hardware acceleration or something to to give you more value uh, than the the RAM alone, that that would uh, make it a useful card. But as for RAM, I guarantee you, I'd never touch it. Well, can, I make a, can I make a quick observation? Okay. I've noticed that any time that people talk about improvements to the Coco, it, nobody can leave it well enough alone with what the person's designed. They have to add things to it. <laughs> yeah. I've yeah. known what you're talking about, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> it, it becomes a tech challenge, which is fine. You know, everyone's trying to push it. Uh, the technical specs to its maximum but in the end of the day there's no software that's using it so i'm looking at s features whereby software could be created to use it i i'm not disputing that i guess the key here is is if you know if you're if you were here sitting here next to me and you were looking at the screen that i'm looking at not the screen of the coco but the logic analyzer screen um you would see that the gimme data accesses are truly bizarre, right? And, and none of none of your data sheets that you've got out there show that, right? So it's taken me all night just to figure out, well, not all night, but it's taken me up until like 2 o'clock this morning and then all morning this morning just to figure out which one of the, of the um, three data cycles that or the three re RAM refresh cycles that are taking place during the high e-clock part of the time is the one where the CPU actually gets its data. And so to say, hey, I don't really think there'd be any need for more RAM, but I think there'd be all this interesting stuff for blitters and other functionality. Well, the part is, is you have to learn how the gimme is working with RAM in general first, yeah. then you can continue forward to say, okay, now how can I cheat or how can I change the way that Gimme gets its data or, you know, how can I change the way that the system works? But, you know, first you have to even figure out how to do how to do RAM and how to do um, this idea of doing task switching. So it's kind of a crawl, walk, run type of scenario. And yeah. I'll be honest with you, it's going to take me, you know, I might have something that's reasonably interesting to look at for Tandy assembly, but it's going to take me probably all winter to figure out what all these extra accesses are. I can't tell if in the Gimme they are sending these extra data accesses out to the RAM because it's just a, it's kind of a, 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 a don't care situation in the gimme when they were building the gimme, you know, it's an ASIC. And so if they said, you know what, we don't care if we do an extraneous RAM read in the first half of the E cycle because we're going to do another one that's the real one in the second half of the cycle. Or if it was really designed for something and, you know, this idea of, you know, to color mode or a larger uh, palette of colors or something like that. What is that? And do I need to, can I safely throw it away or not? I don't know. So I think that's the key is it's great to think of these great ideas and it's great that a blitter would be interesting for you, but right now I just got to figure out how RAM works on this thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, just be glad that this is a synchronous bus opposed to an asynchronous bus like the Intel uh, Z80 stuff was. Mm -hmm. uh, that would be a real nightmare. But the other thing is isn't the gimme effectively a 16-bit cycle? Yeah, it is. And it, yeah, so that would even that would increase the transfer even faster, as far as the number of bytes. Uh, yes, for the and, yes and no, because 
it's a 16-bit access, but it is um, uh, it only has an 8-bit data path. So, Ooh, uh, okay. Yeah, so well, I knew a, I knew so I knew the CPU only had an 8-bit data path, but the uh, Gimme chip itself is only 8-bit in. Correct. Correct. So, oh. so what it does is the way the way the gimme works is it it says hey, um, uh, it, you know let's just assume the CPU is off the bus. It's the low half of the e cycle. Hey RAM, send me all the data for send me try to send me 16 bits of data from you know e thousand or something like that. Right. So right. it'll send me e thousand. The low bank of RAM will give me e thousand, and the high bank of RAM will give me e thousand and one. And then for the moment, I want you to uh, I want you to latch the high byte of the data into a little secret register and then send me the low part of the data right now. And then when the e-cycle goes high, the CPU gets to use the bus, but, use the, but, you, but you have that little secret register and you're going to send me the rest of the data. Ah, okay. All right. So, it's, I mean, it's a slick way of doing it because... Um, you know that way you, you get you get effectively get six get sixteen bits of data path per cycle in the gimme, um, yeah. but it's all shoehorned through eight bits. Uh. Yep. And then, as I indicated in the cocoa list, you know the mailing list earlier this week, the the key to separating out and doing task registers, as opposed to just adding two bits of data to the existing task registers, but but actually completely. Re removing the gimme task registers and replacing them with mine well the key to that is figuring out when the cpu is supposed to be getting data right because the way it normally works is all the data to the cpu goes directly through the gimme the gimme is a is a pass through and so if you're going to split that off and say you know what i'm going to send data directly to the cpu and i'm not going to send it through the gimme then you have to figure out what the gimme is doing inside with data so that you can replicate all that functionality in order to send the right data to the CPU. And it took me all this morning to figure that out. It's a very complicated... off to you that's uh an area that i never got into uh i just got reports from tandy in the beginning it's effectively a 16-bit bus going mm -hmm. to the gimme but no, it's not no it's not no it's not yeah. and like i said earlier i posted on the list people assume and the documentation is written that says okay if you if you set up your mmu the top uh, the top six bits of your address is the is the MMU part of the address. So it takes top three bits of your of your CPU address and it converts them to six bits, and then that's what it puts the top in. You know, it, it sets up a seven or an eighteen bit address, and that's what it uses. But in reality, what's sent what's sent out on the Gimme bus is is not that right. It's uh it's the uh the first A or the the all but bit zero of of the uh, of the low part of the address, and then bit eight of the address, and then the the bit four 
four of the bank register, and then the second part of the uh, the address is the next four bits of address from the CPU, and then five bits of address from the bank register. So uh, it's a really convoluted way to do that, and you have to keep it set. You have to keep it in tune because if you're going to bypass the gimme and you're going to start storing data from the CPU directly through another data path, then you have to store it in RAM in exactly the same place that the gimme would have stored it if it was storing it in RAM. Mm -hmm. all, all this palaver because of OS 9. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I'm going to have to jump off the call here or drop off the call, I guess you should say. I smell food out there, so it's, it's smelling like dinner time. The bell's oh. about to ring. Um, I'm sure that's not David. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Listen, the uh, the the, uh, the ban on 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 David uh, pestering is is not over yet. We have he's got twenty four hours of uh, of being treated properly. So, <laughs> all right, guys, I'm gonna run. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jim Brain, for being here too, and Steve Bjork and everybody else, and Grant and and Nick and David, especially David Ladd and uh, Curtis, <laughs> Bill, and Mark. I'll talk to you guys later. Later, Steve. Bye, Bye Steve. <laughs> and that concludes episode 28 of Coco Talk, the mostly Tandy Assembly edition, although, you know, it's always a trip. Thanks for listening to another episode of Coco Talk. We certainly hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, why not check us out on the web at cocotalk.live, where you can watch video replays of all of our live episodes, as well as send us feedback and suggestions for the show. We'd certainly love to hear from you. Until next week, I'm the original gamer, Stevie Stroh. Keep on cocoing. Coco forever. Have a cocoa day, and bye-bye, everybody.